not me releasing an episode about integrity and then taking two weeks to release another episode. Oops. Um, look, all, all I can say, friends, is that I, I, I just played too hard. You know, sometimes opportunities come up and you just have to explore them. You have to go on the side quests, uh, even if you don't necessarily document and publicize the journey. So, uh, that's what I've been up to, and in my little two-week hiatus, I came to the conclusion that I need to lean into the multiverse aesthetic for this season because the first season I was able to document my progress as I went along and release the episodes, but for the second season it's been a little bit tricky because I've already recorded all of the episodes pretty much, but I have yet to do the intros. So I'm in this place where I'm sort of reliving what I was going through at the time that the episode was recorded and really tapping back into that mentality and headspace, but also am living in the current moment if you can imagine that. So it's been really interesting that sort of crafting this narrative throughout. And so this episode is set in the end of July of 2022, because that's when it was recorded. However, I guess I can speak on a few things that have been on my mind recently as well. So if we wind our clocks back to late July of 2022, it was hot in Atlanta, no surprise, and I was very thankful because I didn't have to be out working in the heat most of the time I because I was in a cool, dark office editing, which was exactly what I said I didn't want at the beginning of the year, but it actually wound up being sort of the perfect gig or job for me at the time because it allowed me not to be outside. And also, finally, I felt paid me what I was worth, which was great. But it was also cool because um, I love project-based work and craft-based work. And the project that I was working on was a project about crafts. It was basically a tutorial series for this colored pencil brand where they shot overheads of an artist drawing and then these videos are meant for people to follow along with after they've bought these uh, drawing and colored pencil kits. I actually found this project quite fun because it was creative and I felt like it eventually will be helping people tap into their creative side who aren't necessarily that creatively inclined, like maybe it's a, a roadblock or not super accessible for them, um, the gateway crafting perhaps, and also editing wise it was pretty simple, so I had fun crafting these videos together. At the same time, I was listening to lots and lots of podcasts, and a recurring theme in the Sparked podcast is that you can only have X amount of projects going on at one time in order to progress and see progression in all of them. And the number they kept coming back to was five, but I could see how that would be changeable um, or vary from person to person. But the overall sentiment is basically that everything is a project. So regardless of it, if it is a tangible thing that you will have, by the end of making it, or if it's a relationship, or if it's a fitness thing, or a diet thing, or 
a financial project, um, like I want to have this amount of savings or I want to pay off these bills, or if it's just like general day-to-day living or even work, literally everything in this argument is a project. And because your energy and your time are finite resources, you have to be very strategic in devoting energy and time into each of these projects because ideally you are aiming for these projects to be finished and resolved. The brain likes closure and closed loops. So we want to have a project, be done with it, and then move on to the next thing, freeing up the space. It was very meta, I'll say, listening to that sort of philosophy on project making while working on a project about projects. But you know, that's kind of in key, on key, whatever the preposition is there for me. So all of that to say, and if you'll indulge me in my multiverse jumping, at the moment, my projects are uh, work. I'm currently working on a movie, which is on its way to wrapping up, but is still very much a full-time job for me at the moment, which is pretty cool. My next project, I guess, is keeping up with my training, which is vague and very much an umbrella term. (laughs) And I guess that this person's argument would consider each realm of training a separate project. But that's too confusing for me because I have so many already, which might be the problem. But anyway, my training still consists very much of Aikido and Irish dance and now is also gymnastics and parkour. So I have a lot going on. But I need to do more just basic weightlifting again. So that's another project I need to implement. But you can see how that by counting each of those different things as one um it's it's more than five so in addition to getting good sleep and taking care of myself and all those other basic needs so um yeah um i was pretty tired but if we go back to july of 2022 my project list was a little bit simpler it mostly was just going to work and then making sure i left work with enough time to go to a night activity like Aikido or failing Aikido, then weightlifting. But also during this time, I learned a new craft with a couple of people, one of which is the subject of today's episode. My lovely little sister, Lara, stopped by Atlanta on her way to go get her mermaid certification. And when she swam back up on her way back, I coerced her into taking a belaying class with me. It was a really cool experience because she and I have spent a lot of time together as siblings, but we haven't really done much physical training together, I would say. We both are scuba certified and have gone on a couple of dives together, literally just a couple. But other than that, aside from aggressively encouraging her to hike up Stone Mountain in summer, there hasn't been too, too much room for physical training. So when we were taking this belaying class, it was really cool because we were both learning something that neither of us really had any experience in, but we were able to learn it in just a day. And then after Lara left town, I was able to go back and take my test and now I can go and belay other people and other friends. So it felt pretty cool to 
experience, that sort of exploration and physicality um, with Laura, and then also to be able to now share the craft and understand it a little better to further my knowledge and appreciation. So now that I've said the word craft about a thousand times, get your counter ready because we say it a lot in the episode, I guess I should explore it a little myself. And that's easy and hard at the same time because to me, craft is everything. Or if it's not everything, there is a craft to everything or in everything, I think. Crafting can be as simple as the classic macaroni art and Elmer's glue like you would see in elementary school. Or it can be very intricate and complex and be more of a defined art like puppetry or pottery, ceramic making, dance, any art form. But it also just is the way of making art itself. And I think that once you are able to appreciate the effort and ability and passion that somebody has, I think that allows you to see the artistry that they're bringing to whatever they're doing. Lots of people say there's an art to cooking, which is very true. I think there's also an art to making the little plastic caps that go on the tips of your shoelaces, which definitely have a name, but I don't know what that is. And sort of in that realm, and especially here in Atlanta, the craft beer and cider and other goods uh, industries are really popular nowadays, which is pretty cool because it shows that I think people are interested in how things are made and they want to know where things come from. But so much of that information is often glossed over because we just think that we don't have time for it. We're not making the time to appreciate all of the things that we have. But have you ever just like stopped and like looked at a random object in your vicinity and just encountered it? Like, that is the most depersonalizing feeling in the world. Like, right now, I am looking at my blinds. Just my blinds. And they're those cool blinds where, well, they have a rod on them, so it's pretty standard. But they're those cool blinds where you can just, like, push them up, and then they stay up by themselves. Like, they just hold themselves there. I don't know about you, but I do not have that knowledge. Like, I just do not have that knowledge to design that and just have it work. And yet there they are. And that's not like a super uncommon thing. In fact, I would say it's very common to have that style of blinds. But I don't know how it works. I don't know how it was made. It's witchcraft as far as I'm concerned. But here it is, and I'm regarding it, and I'm appreciating it. Because I know that I definitely cannot orchestrate that myself. So, anyway, that's where my mind goes. (laughs) But on a more personal note, my individual relationship with crafting and craftsmanship has been a little bit bittersweet. There's always been this longing on my end because I am so attracted and drawn to passion and people passionate about what they're doing. I love when people are able to spot the intricacies in certain crafts, 
all of that excites me because it's more knowledge for me to acquire potentially. And this potential knowledge really energizes me and encourages me to sort of splatter paint myself and try a whole bunch of things, even if I know that I'm not going to be good at it right away. So my natural state is wanting to learn more, wanting to get better, wanting to have knowledge of these crafts, not literally every craft, but the crafts that are most calling to me. But so much of my existence, I feel like, has been getting really close to a craft, like emotionally, and then having some sort of wall go up in front of it that I'm not able to scale, at least at that time. And some of these walls are sort of self-sabotage walls, which I admit to, I claim, but a lot of them are external as well. And regardless of who put the wall up or why, it just leads to this general feeling of exclusion and a negative feedback loop of really wanting to try to get better at something and then a rejection and then not being able to keep doing it and then abandoning it completely because that's the the safer option. And so I've experienced this in some way with pretty much all of my hobbies and I'm trying to navigate them now. But what I've also found in the professional world relatively recently is that a lot of times people hold the craft too close to them. And that's a really interesting nuance to me because they love the craft so much that they're resistant and hesitant to allow new people to climb the ladder of whatever profession because the new person doesn't possess the same skill set or have the same upbringing or yet have the same knowledge that they do. And so what I've noticed winds up happening is there's sort of this bubble of people who are in the industry or in the profession and they're keeping their bubble like really, really tight and small. But there's all these other people on the outside of the bubble who really want to learn and really want to be good at what they're doing and really want mentorship and to grow and aren't really getting the bubble extended to them to do that. And I've seen this happen to a lot of people, and it's happened to me a couple of times, but basically what winds up happening is the people inside the bubble choose to hire the other people inside the bubble, which makes logistical sense, while the outside the bubble people really, uh, really try hard with their hydrogen bonding <laughs> to attach their bubbles to the big bubble. So anyway, I can see the argument on both sides, like why it would make logistical sense to play it safe, especially in a professional environment. But also, regardless of what your craft is, in order to keep the craft alive, you need mentorship, you need an apprenticeship, you need, it doesn't have to be as rigid as that, but you need the knowledge to be passed on. And if the knowledge isn't passed on, then it's going to change, which is fine. But that set of skills or knowledge will be lost at some point down the road. And that's not a thing that any passionate person in their craft or lifelong learner or just 
curious person wants. They want the craft to continue. And if they know the craft, then they can support you in the craft. So in my mind, at least, it's really security all the way around. Some of the more self-imposed walls that are in front of me in terms of crafting are simply creative blocks that come from perfectionism or maximizing, if you're familiar with that term, where I usually would know that I'm not going to be satisfied with whatever I make, whether it be a, a painting or a doodle or anything like completely low stakes. So I know it's not going to meet the standards that I would hold myself to, so I just would rather not do anything at all and then keep myself from ever progressing in the skill because I'm not doing it. But I've been trying to actively get better at that by just allowing myself to create. That was one of the reasons why my planners have been really helpful because it allowed me to try out stamp making <laughs> and journaling and I was able to start learning that craft and was able to see my my progress on a visual way and not be ashamed of what I was doing. This podcast is also a perfect example of that and literally this very meta example of recording these intros and outros. Uh, they are very much a craft themselves that I am very much still working at. And all of the physical stuff that I've been doing too has been, I've been calling it really good exposure therapy. All of that, all of those things, all of those activities and arts in my mind are crafts. And the queen of crafts, the queen of trash in my mind is Lara. Laura and I are very similar in a lot of ways. We have pretty much the same sense of humor and we love a lot of the same things. And we're also very much multi-passionate individuals. So we prefer to get our energy from and give our energy to a wide variety of usually project-based things instead of laser focusing on one pursuit and only one pursuit for the the long the long haul as we learned from my sparked episode my passions tend to be more somatically inclined yes i did look that word up while i would argue that lara's tend to be more artistically or creatively inclined though she also has physical outlets of creative expression, such as the belaying and her mermaiding and scuba. So lots of things. But I say that to me, Lara is more artistically or artisanally inclined because as long as I've known her, which has been her whole life, she has always been up to something. <laughs> Whether that be creating Christmas ornaments out of cat hair, or creating cosplays of her favorite characters from TV shows and musicals, or gluing some sort of natural ephemera to her face, or even making jewelry out of teeth. She definitely always has at least five projects going on that are active, and then probably a lot more that are still sort of in the, the paper-pushing phases. Uh, that the, the spongebobs in her brain are still processing at any given time. 
But the most amazing thing to me about Lara and her crafting is her just natural ability to conceptualize a project and to finish it, which sounds so simple, but it's a very amazing thing to go from nothing but an, an idea to conceptualize it and then to create a tangible or consumable thing. It is an amazing thing to me because Lara's natural state as I perceive it is to craft and to create and it's just how she has to operate like she can't not create and craft it's like she's a beacon or a lightning rod and you know she's just standing there and then all of these ideas come down and and strike her and then she needs to to disperse to disperse them and put them into existence in whatever medium she sees fit and that's so cool because for me it is uh, either my lightning rod is pretty short or I am more like a lighthouse, I guess, where I spend a long time sort of like seeking, like passing my light like through everything, through the fog and like looking for stuff. But any of the uh, the idea ships in the night that I see tend to see me and then kind of skirt the other way. <laughs> So it takes a lot more energy, I guess, for me to hold on to an idea and give it enough trust and energy to take it from nothing to something I can be, something I can not only have, but be satisfied or even happy with at the end of whatever crafting venture. Currently, the idea lightning that is striking the lightning rod of Lara tend to be in the medium of collage. She tried out this medium a couple of years ago and has since gone on to really make it her own and really craft her style in a way that is both authentically her and also is, is so incredibly fast in terms of turnaround time. Like, she can knock one out in a few hours, basically. But my favorite, I think, Laura crafting story is when I moved into my apartment for the first time. I didn't really have all that much furniture or anything to put in said apartment because I just simply did not own anything. And for Christmas, she asked what I wanted, and I said that it'd be cool to have some art you know, to put on my mostly bare walls. And she said, okay, I'll paint you something. Um, what, what do you want to be painted? And I just could not be bothered <laughs> to think of anything. So I just said, look, you can literally paint me a spoon and I would be happy. And lo and behold, on Christmas morning, I was given this beautiful spoon painting that was freshly dry because she, in her little Christmas elf self, had been hard at work painting it start to finish on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and I think that's pretty amazing, and I love telling people that story when they come to my apartment and see it. And as another aside, my apartment is basically just a small gallery for Laura's artwork, with a couple of my more elementary artistic endeavors as accent pieces. So I'm always very grateful that I get to regard her artwork in person every day. 
I will say that after our recording in, if we fast forward to, I think, August of 2022, I reached my crafting peak so far because I went to uh, what was called the, the Parliament of Owls, which was supposed to be this owl parade randomly that I guess happens every year in Atlanta, but I had just heard of it this year. And it was this really cool and quirky and strange event where the dress code was strictly black and white. Like, you could wear other colors, but it was strictly black and white. And what you were supposed to do was go to a paper lantern making session and uh, buy a kit and create your paper lantern owl from the kit. And then we were all supposed to, like, come to this meeting point and then go on a little parade with our little owl lanterns. And so I found out about this parade, like, less than 24 hours before it happened. And I saw it and I was like, oh no, I have to go to that. (laughs) But I quickly realized that I had missed all of the lantern kit opportunities. And so I kind of gave a little sigh and I let it go and I wasn't going to go to the parade. And then my little lighthouse beam, it, uh, it hit a little ship in the night and they radioed me and said, you could make your own. (laughs) And so I spent all of the next day, all the next afternoon going to different craft supply stores and finding the the china balls and the little battery powered lights and some felts and some pipe cleaners and i made my own little owl with a independently spinning head which i thought was a pretty cool feature so i made my little owl and i took him on the marta and i went to the owl parade even though it got rained out and turned out to be just like a a little celebration without parading and i gave myself this magical experience that I would have deprived myself of had I not been encouraged to craft. And part of that encouragement, a lot of that encouragement, comes from people like Laura who just live inspired and act on their inspiration. So through this little chit-chat and through mine and Laura's exploration of her relationship with craft, I invite you to open your mind to inspiration and see where it takes you. Hi, Miss Laura. Hi, Miss Sarah. Oh, <laughs> welcome back to Atlanta. Yeah, it's been like, I don't even know, like my fifth, sixth go round. <laughs> Something like that. You were here twice, I think, last year. Yes. And then, like, for a couple months the year before that, like, all in one go. Yeah. Like, for the, the during summer. During the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. The, the 
panoramic summer. Yeah, that was a weird time. It was super weird. One of the highlights being going to the puppetry. (laughs) Yeah, that was special. That was special. Also, your couch eating my hard drive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of good times. Mm -hmm. Well, happy to have you back, as always. Um, Especially... It's it's funny to have you back now, though, because you've been on such odysseys. I really have. And such adventures, and you've grown so, so much, even since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that, on top of what you always are constantly just doing, uh, has really contributed to all of your crafts which is what I'm really excited to talk to you today. We kind of talk about crafts a lot, or just like... I like crafts. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I I thought it would be fun to like talk more in depth and kind of from a more like exploratory... Conceptualized craft. Conceptualized, yeah, because it would be interesting to hear your insights about it. Mm -hmm. So... I hate to ask the easy, like, basic, really simple questions, and I I try to pride myself on asking interesting questions and and crafting, like, kind of solid ones, but for this, I kind of really just wanted to ask the really basic question first of, what is a craft? You know, that's a really good question. (laughs) it really is because craft like as a concept extends to any topic essentially so I think in the more literal sense when somebody thinks of craft they think of like a physical tangible either activity or end product of said activity and that's more what I do I guess but you can say that there's a craftsmanship to almost everything. So it really depends on what your specific set of skills are and what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, when I was brainstorming for for this, the like you said, the first thing I thought of was more things in the physical sense, like with some element of production and producing and, of course, like the artistry behind it. Um, but then I also thought of, um, like services or like the showmanship like obviously on any of the performative arts uh like dance theater any of that those are all crafts music um but then even like behaviors and actions like uh like practicing yoga or like uh breathing or like any of that stuff it can be a craft um so there's i feel like a craft is a skill that you train with tenderness there it is. <laughs> I feel like it has this sort of more human connotation to it. It does seem, like, very caring. Right. And the natural state of humans, I feel like, at least originally, is to create things, to craft things. Mm. And I feel like that was the default for thousands of years. But it was only, like, recently, like, within the past couple hundred years or so, that craft has started to become lost. Mm -hmm. And and because we've had this 
uh, like mass production sort right. of mindset towards things. Mm-hmm. And so people don't really think about craft anymore. And when they do, it has a childlike connotation to it as well. Right. You think of preschool and uh, sort Michaels of novice like idea about it. It's mm-hmm. not as impressive as something else. Yeah. It's popsicles and white glue. Popsicle sticks and white glue. Like <laughs> and craft glue. And craft glue, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and pom poms and And hand turkeys. Yeah. 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 People totally don't think sense. how to apply craft to their everyday lives, even if they aren't artistic, which I think everybody's artistic, but that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. hmm So on that vein that was sort of implying that it is a natural thing, like maybe what separates humans from um, other animals is that it's natural for us to have ideas and welcome ideas and to spread ideas and also to nurture those ideas and further and better them. Yes, that's actually one of the key points when like in biology when we're talking about what separates us from other apes one of the like key distinguishing things is our use of tools mm-hmm. and our creation of tools mm-hmm. and that's what sets apart a higher organism in terms of like i guess mental awareness mm-hmm. or so than lower tier ones right. so like otters they're they use crafts they use uh, they break seashells on rocks. Right. So, like, you know, there are other animals that use tools like that, but, yeah, tools are, like, literally one of the key things that you learn that separates evolved humans from other apes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, craft is evolutionarily built into our system. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that it's there from a sort of biological perspective, but that it's also so ingrained to how humans have developed and sort of created our the ecosystem of the modern societies that we live in, I think. Um, do you think that in, at least in like this sort of society where we live, um, do you think that there is still sort of like a rich appreciation for craft or um, of any sort? Or is it more sort of, utilitarian like purposeful I mean I definitely think craft isn't as appreciated now as it probably was in the any time before the 19th century or (laughs) or something you know because it's every single aspect of life was a craft like parquet like the way that people would make wood floorings like you have all these you have like herringbone design you have like, all these various, like, just so many artistic choices for just building a house. Mm-hmm. Like, pillars, like, I mean, like, anything, like, masonry, like, with bricks, like, just the essentials, they were all crafts. Right. Whereas now you don't really have that um, because of, like, the mass-produced nature of things now. Um, and just being more efficient, getting more things put out there than uh, trying to actually do, a, I guess, a good job <laughs> at it. 
Um, so I would say, yeah, it definitely isn't as appreciated. I think people too, who didn't like, so we grew up in an old house. We did. We did. did. (laughs) She's an old girl. She is. Uh, turning 126, I think this year. 27. Oh, 27. No, No, I I think it's 26. I'm turning 20. (laughs) You're turning 20. Right. I guess it's confused. (laughs) There's a lot of numbers involved. There really are. Um, so we kind of grew up with, well, we grew up with white furniture and other vintage or antique pieces. And the craftsmanship on furniture, particularly wooden furniture, is an incredible difference between that and whatever you can go buy new today. Right. Like, you can't, unless you go to a woodworker, you can't buy vintage. You really can't. Because the wooden furniture today, a lot of the time, is, um, at least the insides of it, I know, are just sort of pulp, right? It's not even wood. <laughs> like, at that point, I mean, it is technically, it's particle board. Yeah. But, like, even, I feel like even if you went to a place that did actual, like, used actual, like, pieces of wood and not particle board, mm-hmm. just the style, the aesthetic that's popular now is still more of a minimal design. So there's not going to be these intricate carvings. There's not going to be these clawed feet with oh, glass yeah. balls at the bottom, like, in our foyer. Like, there's not going to be these things, <laughs> you know? Right. Because that's expensive, but... And people don't practice craft anymore in that way. And it's really quite sad, to be honest. So that's why... I mean, I, I just have no interest in buying furniture particularly new because it's not even good quality anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not a hopeless cause. People still do appreciate it. Um, and I think people appreciate it at, like, specialized festivals and stuff. So, like, Renaissance fairs and uh, summer solstices and stuff. You'll have a bunch of, like, independent crafters there. Even then, though... They're all valid. I'm, like, basically one of them myself. But those crafts are still not to the same caliber as what craft used to be. And do you think that's simply because life depended on it? Yes. And nobody teaches it. Like, they, they don't build those huge churches anymore. Right. That they built like 500 years ago. They just don't build them like that. <laughs> they just, it's just not built like that anymore. They're built different. They're built, these days. they're literally built different. Um, and yeah, it probably wouldn't be sustainable considering the population now to continue to do that level of craft. But it's just those kinds of things aren't even really taught, to be honest. Mm. I'm sure they are like in hyper specific communities, but it's not accessible but I guess you could argue that it never really was accessible anyway unless you were somewhat wealthy back in the day I don't know well it's a really interesting time to live in now because I feel like for a lot of these crafts we are in this sort of um I would consider it a a monumental period where we have so much technology and so much so much interconnectivity in terms of like how close people can be to each other not distance wise or proximity but just through like the internet and communicating virtually um to spread information but we're at the precipice i think of a lot of these crafts dying out and even on like tiktok and a bunch of uh, platforms and things, I'll see really niche things popping up where it 
fairs and festivals, like you were mentioning, these really niche crafts just popping up and people in the comments are really interested in them. So there is, it's not necessarily that there's not interest in them. It's just the society that we have doesn't, there's not really a need to learn these really specific skills, which makes me sad a little bit. That's actually funny that you bring that up because I know we've talked about this before, but there is, so there's an ICUN red list for animals and there's the same thing, like equivalent for crafts. So you can go on, I can't remember the specific uh, <laughs> name of it, but there's literally a website. It's .org, I'm pretty sure. So you it's can gotta be .org. Right? <laughs> yeah. We know it's not .gov. Right. <laughs> well, it might be .gov. I don't know what it is. But uh, it literally, it lists all these crafts, like crafts that you wouldn't even think about. Um. And it it qualifies them as, like, least concerned or endangered or even extinct. Because and some are. Because some crafts are extinct. And it's quite an interesting concept to think about, actually, because if you do think about it, when a craft, when the last person who knows how to do that craft authentically and genuinely dies, and, no, like, the information is on how to do that craft is not able to just be picked up by somebody else. Like, they have to be trained. If there's nobody to train them, the craft is essentially extinct. Right. And that is very sad. It's very much, like, it's a piece of history, like, not being able to be preserved, you know? Mm -hmm. And it is just as sad to me as species going extinct and stuff. Um, so I can't remember specific crafts that were on that list that were extinct. Uh, but there were quite a few that were, like, critically endangered or threatened or something like that. And it was interesting to see that those terms that usually you learn about with biology applied to these skills and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's completely fascinating. The first time you told me about it, I was... I was really taken aback by it, but, like, not in a, not in a, like, negative way towards it. Like, it, I was actually sort of happy that people were tracking it and that they cared enough. <laughs> right, because you didn't think that it was something that was tracked. Right. And it was, it's really interesting, too. I can't, I mean, if you just Google, like, red list for crafts, I'm sure you can find it. But... Because I think it's a UK-based thing, but it's it's really interesting, too, because not only are they tracking, but you'll click on the craft and it will tell you the exact number of practicing crafters, <laughs> like, in that craft. Oh, that's like, so interesting. Like, it has, like, a population number. Mm -mm. So, like, there's 30 of this left. Wow. It's like saying there's 30 white rhinoceri left or something. Wow. So there's, like, 30 people left to do this craft, and there's maybe 20 who are apprentices or something. Wow. I wonder if that list has inspired people to go out and seek mentorship. I, don't know. I mean, I, I can't remember how I first heard about it. I think it's probably through TikTok because I was watching somebody do a very specific type of book uh, folding, mm -hmm. like folding the pages for a book, which is a very specific yeah. craft. And that's the other thing. It's not just like, oh, I'm making a book. That's one craft. It's like every step to make one finished product is its own craft. Right. And, and like, there used to be sort of an assembly line for each of these. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you do the binding part, but you didn't do the actual making the paper part. Right. Or the printing part or the folding part. 
And those are all their own unique crafts. Yeah. Truly took a village. It really did, yeah. So if you, just as you were, had to sort of go back in time and be born into this, like, like a medieval era family or like a caste system like anywhere where these sort of god forbid (laughs) right (laughs) like you were born into this um existence where your whole life depended on this one craft yeah but you did not like this craft Mm -hmm. how do you think you would have gone about that life i just simply wouldn't (laughs) i don't We'd just simply pass away. Right. Yeah. I mean, we probably would because of plague and anyway, plague. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. Just, like, realistically, I just don't think people had the privilege to be like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. They just didn't even, like, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they only ever really accessed the first two oh, levels. Yeah. So it's like they didn't even really consider back then their higher purpose or whatever. They're like, I do this to survive. This is how I survive. Right. And this, we pass this down. Yeah. And so, like, realistically, if I was doing something I didn't want to do, I probably wouldn't even know it. Because I wouldn't know any better. You wouldn't have a choice in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simpler times. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think that's why craft has kind of died out. Because, at least in those terms, because we do have the privilege to sort of do what we want now mm-hmm. like most people i guess i would say have the basic necessities met you know i mean it might not be like the best life but i i feel like food and shelter food and shelter you know and not gonna get beheaded by a king or something <laughs> you know just like the basics <laughs> um and so people, and there's so many more things, there's so many technologies, and mm-hmm. there's so, just so many more different careers to do. Mm-hmm. Your society doesn't have to be built on craft now. No. So it's probably why a lot of it has died out, because it's just not this practical purpose for it. Right. And with automation, everything is a lot more efficient in a yes. lot of those areas. Exactly. Yeah. Like in Willy Wonka, when Charlie's dad's putting the tops on the TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. that is a sustainable business model for no. them. <laughs> yeah, that is a craft yeah. in itself. Man, watching some of those videos, like, unwrapped, yes. like, where the people are just simply putting the candy into the mass shipping boxes, honestly, watching that sometimes is like, that is kind of an art. It is. It is a craft and an art. Seeing people do the mundane tasks, specifically, like, in food, yeah. those people who have done it a lot, they get really fast at it. So, like, when I made cookies and lattes and stuff, like, I would go really fast. At, putting, at, at like, store. filling, yeah, like, yeah. filling the trays with cookies, putting M&Ms on them, uh, making lattes, espressos, American, like, I would go really fast, because I got really good at it. And right. when we'd have new hires come in, they'd be like... taking like forever to like just do these simple tasks and Mm -hmm. it really does make you realize like once you like these sort of repetitive like movements of stuff people the the fluidity of like doing them it's really quite amazing to watch Mm. so there's an element of training yeah practice you would say to honing a specific Mm -hmm. craft or like even just movement yeah Yeah. but like with people who make 
crepes, like when they pour the batter onto the big circular uh, stovetop thing and they have the little dowel and they just move it around at once and it makes a perfect circle. Right. Like that looks really easy. But then when you try to, if you try to do it, it's like you're struggling and then you're struggling to flip it and you're struggling. Like all of these things uh, that, you, that look super easy, it's this repetitive movement that these people have learned and trained themselves to do very fluidly and it's, it's honestly quite a craft that as well mm-hmm. yeah i've noticed that in all of i mean really just anything but in all of the physical more activities or endeavors that i've uh that i've uh, gotten to do there's always a little bit more going on than what meets the eye. Uh, definitely more going on under the surface. And you actually just had a lot going on under the surface. <laughs> I had a lot going on under the surface. <laughs> because you recently became a mermaid. I did become a mermaid. I mean, we knew you were a mermaid. You've I've always been, been a mermaid. I've always been a mermaid. Yeah. But I am officially an advanced mermaid. <laughs> Patty certified. I'm a Patty certified advanced mermaid. Wow. If I had an applause thing, I would definitely push it, but I don't. Um, So how that mermaiding, as you were telling me, is a very physical endeavor. It's exhausting. Yeah, you were pretty dead. I was very dead. (laughs) Would you say you were dead in the water? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Um, but, yeah, so there was a lot going on. You were telling me all about, um, how you felt a lot more acquainted with your, just your body. Yeah. After having done it, because we were talking about how scuba is learning, essentially, how to be a human underwater, but freediving and mermaiding is sort of learning how to be a fish. It is, yes. And so I was wondering if you could speak about sort of the artistry or the more, like, physical training elements and how physical training of any capacity, specifically with the mermaiding and the freediving, sort of relates to practicing a craft. Yeah, well, I I mean, first things, it's definitely a craft. Because, once again, I feel like everything can be a craft. Okay, cool. Um, but, yeah, the analogy of scuba learning how to just exist under the water as a human... And then whereas freediving and mermaiding, which in my opinion, in most mermaids' opinion, is a specialized form of freediving, is learning how to essentially become the water or become a fish in the water. I think that's a very apt description. (laughs) Uh, And I've never been someone to feel in tune with my body. I've just never felt physically gifted in that way. Anytime I would be doing like yoga or stretches or any kind of like physical activity or something, I always just felt like I'm a brain inside a vessel and we're not communicating with each other. (laughs) And I just feel like a buffoon and I'm like, (laughs) it it just, it's not working. Uh, And so I've never really considered myself great at physical things. And so the diving has been really interesting. So I picked up, I've always enjoyed swimming, but I picked up the scuba diving in college. And then most recently I did the free diving and mermaid certifications. And 
I think one reason why it's so appealing to me is half of the training really is mental. It's this building of mental connection to your physical form because so much with diving specifically is being able to sort of bridge them together and have them be one and the same which sounds like such a cheesy concept and I always thought it was cheesy but it really is true because your anxiety and your mental state and your mindset will affect your performance in diving more like probably more than other sports I'd say uh, because you're literally under a lot of pressure. <laughs> so Literally so much pressure. Yes. And you have to not only be under that pressure, but control that pressure. Yes. And it's very easy, like, especially with me, if you just have anxiety regularly, it's like heightened <laughs> when you're 30 feet deep or more yeah. scuba. Um, so... That was like the retreat that I just did. I did Mermaid Freedive Retreat which is a retreat created by um, Brandy Anthony, also known as Vero Beach Mermaid, on Instagram. And it got me... I was able to get basic freediver certification and Patty Ad- Mermaid and Patty Advanced. And half of the retreat was really just us working on our breath work and our mental state. So we did some hypnotherapy things, Uh which hypnotherapy gets like a bad rap too. It's kind of seen as like a, astrology is, which isn't like another topic I could talk <laughs> forever about astrology. It's another but, crap. But yeah, it really is. And hypnotherapy is very valid it to get you sort of into that more relaxed mental space. So with, at this retreat, I really did just sort of learn how to listen to my body. So one of the qualifications in free dive is to have a 90 second breath hold. And you get two attempts at it. And the first one, I failed. I got, like, I mean, this was my first attempt. Like, we hadn't even practiced it, <laughs> which is, like, another thing. But I got to around 45 seconds. And I, like, the whole time my head was underwater, I was I was freaking out. I Because I was, like, convinced that I didn't get a good enough peak inhale. I was convinced that I was doing it wrong, that my position was wrong, that I wasn't relaxed enough, that... Uh, my mental space was just not where it should be. But then the second attempt, I kept my ears out of the water and I listened to our freedive instructor and she did, she ran through that same sort of hypnotherapy script that we had done the night prior and just sort of offered an audio stimulus to latch on to during that breath hold. And for me, that was so much easier to work with. And it calmed down my anxiety and it calmed my mental state to the point where it matched the relaxation level that my body was actually in. Because my body was pretty relaxed. I had done the breathe-ups. I had done the controlled breathing. So it's like physically I am ready to do this. But the whole reason I couldn't do it the first time is because mentally I was convinced that I could not. Yeah. And that's why I, I couldn't do it. But the second time I was able to match that energy not not perfectly but much better (laughs) and I did over twice as well so I got to around a minute 45 seconds which is 15 seconds longer than the requirement um and I had never held my breath that long before and so I was really proud of myself 
for that. Especially since I was so anxious the first time <laughs> and uh, swallowed some water. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, it really is sort of the, the craft of marrying your mental state with your physical state and listening to your body and actually feeling those sensations. I think another thing that I've never been good at is I just don't have a good physiological sense. So what I mean by that is like a sixth sense, like knowing what your body means by that, <laughs> basically. So I've never been good at listening to like, what is it trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is because of anxiety, because your mental state will warp things, make them seem worse than they are. And so it's difficult to get an actual reading about how you physically are. Like, are you okay? Or are you not? Yeah. <laughs> what do you need? Yeah. Um, and so with the second day with diving, we had to do free immersion line diving, which is diving headfirst down this line. Uh, supposed to go to about 33 feet, which is 10 meters. And you pull yourself headfirst along this line. You go down and you're supposed to do like a U pipe turn thing and uh, pedal back up to the surface. And so it's like breath hold. I knew I could do this because theoretically this should not even take 30 seconds. But I ran into another physiological problem when I realized that I couldn't equalize for some reason about 20 feet down, 20 to 25 feet down. And can you explain equalizing? Yeah, so equalizing is basically what you do when you go on an airplane and you feel pressure in your face, like your ears and your sinuses, and you move your jaw around and it pops them and then you're good. Some, or you'll feel it when you go into the mountains or when you descend from the mountains or any kind of difference in pressure like that. That's what equalizing is. And so for cases like that, people just, you know, move their jaw around, they fix it, it's fine. Chew some gum. Right, yes. But with water, since water's a lot heavier than air is, the difference in pressure is going to be way more over a shorter distance. So I had only free dove, free dive before, which is diving without any kind of like scuba equipment, just on breath hold. I had only dived like 10 or 15 feet before. I had never had a deeper body of water to dive that deep before. And I had never had a problem with equalizing before then. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Um, but then I get to 20 or 25 feet and I realize I can't do it anymore. I can't move the air in my face to where it needs to be to match the pressure around me, which is basically the definition of equalizing. And so when you can't do it, that's why you feel this very sharp pressure in your ears. And you'll also feel it in your sinuses. If you're wearing a mask, you'll feel it in your mask. It's You're feeling it in all of the air spaces. And it's not something that you can just, like, push through. No. No. <laughs> you should not push. So... You have to turn around and go back up because if you keep going down, that's when you'll potentially run into like severe injuries depending on how far you go down. So you, because when you come back up, that's another, in, even though you're coming up and relieving the pressure, it's, you're changing it a whole lot. So that's going to do things like burst an eardrum or like bruise your eyes, give you, you know, burst your blood vessels, things like that. And so those are when... In diving specifically, injuries 
due to like the kind of pressure differences like that are uh, referred to as barotraumas. Barrow meaning the prefix for pressure. Um, and so like you, if you can't do it, you, you just, you can't go on. <laughs> you have to go back up because you risk really hurting yourself, such as bursting an eardrum, which is not really a small <laughs> injury, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another thing that I found interesting because I had to listen to my body and be like, oh, this hurts. I can't go on and I need to respect my body and go back up. And it sucks because it's like, I know I could do it in terms of like breath hold, but my body doesn't have the right muscles yet to equalize in the way that I need to. And I could talk more about like, there's different, there's two different kinds of equalization. There's Valsalva and Frenzel. Um, and I couldn't do the right type of frenzel equalization to enable myself to go deeper than my 20, 25 feet. Or else I would have risked <laughs> bursting an eardrop. So essentially, I have to train the right muscles and really practice the correct equalization in order to continue my descent. And so that was an interesting way to learn about what my body needs. And it was telling me, hey, we have too much pressure now. And me like recognizing that physiologically feeling it, and then coming and turning around and going back up. Um, so diving really is a lot of sort of listening to your body and marrying it to the mental state. Um, and I think that's why if I continue my practicing my craft at it, I'll really benefit from it. Because as I've mentioned for like the fifth time now, I have anxiety and <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Right. Um, <laughs> diving particularly because so much like half of it is about breath work and being in a relaxed state since my natural state is not relaxed. If I continue to pursue my craft at it, I think it's better just for overall well-being <laughs> and having a higher quality of life because I've already noticed like using those breath the breathing techniques have helped me with other things like not diving. Right. Just like relaxing and knowing like, okay, we feel this way because we have too much CO2 right now. And that's all it is. Because I know what that feels like. Yeah. And sort of recognizing what that, one, just being able to feel it. Because one thing with like the equalization problems is like, if you just don't have that muscle built yet, it's like weightlifting, like you can't just will your way into lifting 200 pounds if you physically cannot. You, you have don't to. have elite calves. You, right, you don't. <laughs> yeah, Sarah has elite calves, apparently. <laughs> almost. Um, <laughs> almost. <laughs> if you round up. If we round up, yeah. Um, I've seen them in action. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so like you have to work to train that, that muscle so that you can feel. It's like people who can't raise one eyebrow. It's because they haven't worked that that specific muscle movement yet. But if they did work at it, they would be able to build that muscle to raise one eyebrow. So, like, I can do one side, but I can't do the other. Mm-hmm. And I, that's because I remember specifically, like, when I was in middle school, staring in a mirror, being like, I want to raise one eyebrow so I can look at people funny. And then training myself to lift only my left eyebrow, I never trained my right. So now I, I have no idea how to raise my right eyebrow, but I can do my left. Yeah. So you completed the task. I completed the task. And now you have that skill. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like that. And I know I'm not completely hopeless because 
I was able to go the complete distance, the 33 feet, feet first. Which we do in scuba. Which we do in scuba. But And that's the only time that I've gone to depths like that is in scuba. And scuba, if I remember correctly, is more of a Valsalva equalization, which is bringing air from your lungs up into your face to equalize your air spaces. Whereas with Frenzel is closing your epiglottis so that you're essentially only... You're basically just rearranging the air in your face. Right. Um, and... And that's how you equalize. And so it's a a more difficult thing to do because with Valsalva, you have all this air in your lungs. And with scuba specifically, you're constantly breathing in air. So it's not even like you're breath holding. So it's like you have so much air to equalize with. And also air will go like float up. Right. So if it's coming from down here and you're going feet first, it will very easily go to your head. Mm -hmm. But Frenzel's so much harder... um, Especially head first, because the the most air that you have is currently in your lungs. One, you're not using that. And two, it, there's, it, the gravity's not working with it. Yeah. So this is why it's like a more, a, a tougher thing to do, especially if you've already learned equalization one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you don't, you just don't have the muscle built yet. But um, I do know, like, I learned that, okay, yeah, I do know what equalization feels like, because I could do it one way, so I know what it feels like to have that popping sensation in your ears. I know what the little squeaking sound sounds like underwater. I know we can do it to certain depths. Like, I know that we have some horses in this race, right? Like <laughs> All the horses. Right. We do understand our body a little bit more in this process. And so, yeah, I think... Essentially, like, the mermaid thing specifically just really taught me how to listen to my body as a craft. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people just don't really think about that skill too much. Some people, I think, are naturally better at it than others. Um, and some people are really bad just because they have a heightened mental state, which is because I have anxiety. So, <laughs> so that would be me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um yeah, and then with mermaiding too, I mean, I'm just going on, but <laughs> with mermaiding too, I, it's basically a more intense version of freediving for multiple reasons. One, your feet are bound because you're using a monofin and you you know how to take the monofin off underwater because that's part of the certification process is knowing, is to not freak out when you're in very deep water, be able to remove your monofin, put it back on. Like, these are things you should know how to do in case of an emergency, but if there's not an emergency and you're just being a mermaid, essentially you would never take off your tail. So it's like you're always swimming with your legs bound, uh, which is very different from bifinning. So you have to have a strong dolphin kick. You have to be able to tread water with your legs closed. Like you have to be a good swimmer um, in that aspect of things. But mermaid performers, you know, mermaids in the wild. Yeah. And I would know because I am one naturally. Right. They don't wear masks. No. They don't blow bubbles out of their nose. Absolutely not. Horrendous. Horrendous. They blow bubble kisses and they draw bubble hearts, but they don't blow bubble out of their noses because they're aquatic mammals. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, this is bio 101. And I would know because I'm a biologist. Right. Um, (laughs) Literally the degree in biology. Literally the degree in biology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... With mermaiding, doing a leg 
legs bound. You're not wearing a wetsuit because mermaids don't wear wetsuits. They have tails and they have tops. Their skin is the wetsuit. Exactly. Yeah, they've evolved that layer of blubber to keep them warm. Um, so you're not you're gonna be colder because you don't have wetsuit covering you, and you're not wearing a mask. And so now you can't see underwater clearly, but you can open your eyes. But now you're opening your eyes underwater. And some people, that's really painful for them. They can't open their eyes underwater. And it depends on the water composition. If it's salt water, if it's chlorine water, which is awful. Or if it's spring water, which I think is the best, S tier. Um, <laughs> spring water, S tier. Right, right. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> um, so now you're opening your eyes underwater, which is a, a unique sensation to get used to. But now I think the hardest thing is you're flooding your sinuses. The entire time. It hurts me every time you say that. I know. And Sarah, I don't, I don't mean to, like, out her, but she does have a little bit of, you know, a nose issue going on. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it is a personality trait, I would say. <laughs> yeah. A characteristic. A characteristic. Yeah. It's a relationship. My nose and I, two different people. Yeah. It, it really, because you've really had a learning curve with figuring her out. Yeah, and we've just started. Yeah, you've just started really. Your um, it's been about a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, so <laughs> it's not fun. I mean, you get used to it once again, different in different waters. Chlorine sucks. Spring water, S tier. Salt water is basically like a continuous neti pot. So, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, so, because when you're underwater, if you blow bubbles out of your nose as a mermaid, you're going to have this trail of bubbles, so it's not good for photos. Also, it does not look good, because you're using, you're expelling all of your air. Which it you looks want like get. underwater snot, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't, it's not elegant and graceful. Yeah. It's, you're, even though you're expelling, you're, you're getting rid of precious air that you need for your breath hold. Because mermaids need to hold their breath for a long time, you know, in order to give the best performance and that's another thing mermaids they give performances a lot of times especially if they're aquarium performers they're going to be doing flips underwater interacting with their other mermaids to do like a whole routine and so anytime you go upside down underwater that opens up your sinuses so it's already a weird sensation just to be in water and to have your nose there but it's really flooded when you go upside down and that's when the water shoots up in there. Uh, and especially, like, if you're sort of, like, at this 45-degree angle, that's, like, the key opening for it, too. So if you're doing backflips and stuff underwater, which quite a few of the mermaid moves done with a team required that, it's any kind of flip, any kind of barrel roll, it's your sinuses are flooded. And it's uncomfortable, and it's not great, but, like, it's okay. And so that's another, like, physiological thing to basically just get used to because if you want to be a mermaid which i do you know performing you have to suck it up literally literally <laughs> you have to <laughs> suck it up and fill your face fill your air face with water and smile the whole time because it doesn't bother you because you're a mermaid right we assume the identity and you can't see and you're holding your breath and you're cold and this is why it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, you were knackered. I was so tired. Yeah. I couldn't even drive home. Like, I had to stop. Like, I, it was a struggle for me to even drive an hour to my hotel. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, I have to stop at this Cinnabon because I can't keep going without a cinnamon roll. <laughs> so I did. And it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was so sleep. I, I mean, I had the best sleep. I hadn't slept that well since I was on tour. Yeah. Um, so it's very exhaust. I mean, and that's another thing. Swimming already, even if you're mermaiding or diving or whatever, it's already a full body workout. And we were just talking about this yesterday because we went belaying, which was fun. We did. We learned how to belay. Mm-hmm. Don't belay me. <laughs> <laughs> um... Which you said that it was helping you to use some of your breathing techniques. Yes. While yeah. you were climbing. Because I was really tired. Because, <laughs> like, I have most of my muscle in my legs, so that's another reason why mermaiding appeals to me, because the actual swimming with my legs closed is actually pretty easy for me. Like, that's not the part that messes me up. Um, so, well, we were climbing yesterday, and upper body strength is not my forte. So, it was... <laughs> so like I was just like clinging to the rocks and I was like <sighs> recovery breathing like you do after you come up from a dive and it actually really helped because it expels this CO2 that you've rapidly built up into your system from exertion and you breathe in oxygen to replenish your muscles and it calms you down ready to start exercising again and so I was actually really impressed with myself to be able to I climbed like two or three to the top of those uh, rock walls and one of them was like a split level thing and that one was really cool so yeah, full body workouts are, um, I, I realized I have a tricep today. Two triceps. I have two. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know One that. One on each arm. And I, I was very excited. <laughs> As you should be. I mean, it's really cool to see your body adapting to the environments in which you're putting it in. I, like, I feel like an anamorph. Right. <laughs> like. Literally. No, that's what's happening. <laughs> like, I, like a dolphin or something. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's, oh, that's another thing. So with the diving, you know, when you're doing PADI certification, it's not just training in water. Like you have this whole, you have an online module or an in-class module, depending on wherever you're getting your certification from. And so we had a couple of little like seminar things talking about the body's physiological responses to things like being under pressure and water and stuff like that. And so we learned about the mammalian dive reflex, which is a really cool response that your body has that all mammals technically have to some degree. Aquatic mammals like manatees and whales and dolphins and stuff have it way more than humans do, but humans can activate it, so to speak, by putting their face in cold water and just letting it kind of be there for, you know, some minutes, just... And you can breathe with a snorkel while you're doing it, you don't have to breath hold, but just like uh, making the receptors on your face like immersed in cold water will activate this response, which will lower your heart rate. It'll basically make your body more efficient at keeping, holding onto the uh, oxygen um, so that you can hold your breath longer. Mm. And so when we were doing our static apneas, which are our breath holds, we spent the first part, like the first five or 10 minutes of the like relaxing in cold water in an attempt to activate this mammalian dive reflex response thing, which is cool. So, I mean, that's just a way, one way that our bodies have physiologically 
adapted to certain environments or just evolutionarily that was favorable to have, you know, in case of being in water or something like that. And there's, I can't remember what the, where geographically the people are, but there is a ethnicity or group of people on some, I think, Pacific islands who so much of their culture is living like literally on the water and so much of their food is from spear fishing. So diving down, spear fishing is basically like free diving, but like getting food <laughs> like while you're doing it. So like fishing, um, they've evolved to be able to hold their breath very long. They've evolved this almost third eyelid thing, hmm. which is like a, uh, like a nictitating membrane is on reptiles, which is like a clear eyelid essentially underneath the opaque one <laughs> right right which opacity at like yeah, 20 yeah which is essentially like biological goggles right so they've evolved to see very clearly underwater um and they've also evolved larger spleens because part of the mammalian dive reflex is if you get this far <laughs> is your if you're able to train it is your spleen re uh, releasing this sudden surge of highly oxygenated red blood cells, and which then increases the oxygen in your body, which increases your breath hold time. So if you have a larger spleen, you have more oxygen, you have more red blood cells being released and <laughs> having more oxygen. So it's really interesting, like this group of people, like they're honestly... They've crafted their body <laughs> evolutionarily to have, like, these three really unique features um, that, like, those of us who whose culture has not involved spearfishing constantly um, to sort of craft in that way. It's not like they were doing it, like, purposely. It's just the way evolution works. But it's still really cool to see how, I don't know, just say, the, the circumstances affect the creation of things. Yeah, there does seem to be a universal crafting going on with evolution. <laughs> like, evolution is yeah. literally just the universe crafting. It is, and that's what life is. It's the universe just crafting. Yeah, wow. So it, that makes sense that it is very a natural process it over is. an elongated period of time. That's so interesting. Well, in relation to... Thanks for... Uh, speaking a bit about the, the mermaiding, um, I'm so glad that you got to have that experience. It was wonderful, um, yeah. I loved everybody there. Yeah, uh, and it seemed like you were training with, I mean, you know, Brandy and the other people were at, like, the top of, the, of their crafts, and so it was, in a way, sort of, like, an intensive apprenticeship. Yes, it, it really was. Yeah, I felt very honored, actually, to be their student, you know? Yeah. Because when you're with a person at a high level of their craft it, that you're interested in pursuing, it's really quite inspiring. And my whole fuel for things is inspiration. <laughs> like, that's how I run. I run off of inspiration. Off of V-Bays. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> off of the... V-Bay is also known as Vibes. Um, <laughs> a very particular person will understand that reference. Um, but yeah, it's just very, very inspiring to get to 
be an apprentice because talking about crafts dying out, so another thing that doesn't really exist now is apprenticeships. Right. Like, they don't really exist. I mean, I'm sure they do in some form, but not in the way that they used to. They've been replaced by bulk internships, which is basically exploitation most of the time. Yeah, and, like, were, like, the apprenticeships back in, like, the 1600s or so, were they probably also exploited? And, yeah, because it's, like, everything is, <laughs> like, back then especially. But but it was more one-on-one. Yeah, it was more one-on-one, and usually, like, you didn't pay rent. Like, it's just a universally agreed thing that you just, like, lived there. Right. You know? It wasn't, like, all of these, like, things yeah. factoring into it. Yeah. Um... And, like, you just helped out. You didn't need to supply your own materials, like, buying your own textbooks at college. And, you know, like, all this, like, bullshit. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. It just seemed, like, more honest in a way. Mm-hmm. Still exploited it, but more honest. Oh, yeah. And you sure. knew how to do the thing. Yeah. At the end of it. Oh, yeah, you got really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, like, that's what all of the great painters, a lot of the paintings that people think are, like, oh, this was only Da Vinci worked on this. Like, no, I mean, he maybe worked a little bit on it, but probably, like, 60% were his various apprentices. Like, <laughs> you know, and we, yeah, we don't have apprenticeships really anymore. I mean, we do, like, glorified internships, most of them being unpaid, especially for creative things. Mm-hmm. But there is, I mean, like, you can't just... For multiple reasons, you can't just look in a newspaper and find an apprenticeship for uh, <laughs> sewing or something. First being, <laughs> the newspapers are, now that's a craft that's going extinct. <laughs> if you want to talk about crafts going extinct. Um, but, yeah, slippery slope that one. Yeah, we don't need to go all into that because we've uh, grown up with that. But, uh, recession. <laughs> but, um, the printing press, um melting the lead blocks down to form new letters because that was the easiest way apparently (laughs) anyway um yeah i i like the typesetting i you know and that's a really interesting craft also you know what i didn't realize what (laughs) going off of things that we just kind of said Mm -hmm. like learned phrases um the printer's box. Yes! It's I for- didn't realize that that was for the characters. Yeah! For newspapers or print media. Yeah! Until I was looking it up because I wanted a... We have a printer's box in uh, our home uh, where, you know, we just store, like, mementos from travel and everything. And so I wanted one in my apartment, but I didn't... And so I just looked up printer's boxes and I wasn't, like, finding them. Um, until I, I guess I just, like, found one, and then I realized, but they had labeled it differently, and they had labeled it as a printer's tray, and it still had the handle on it. Yeah. So where they would, like, pull out the drawer, and I was like, wow, that's funny. Yeah. (laughs) That, you know, it went from such a utilitarian purpose to being decorative. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um... It's so many things are like that, especially with, like, furniture and stuff. Right. And it's interesting, too, because, the, I mean, it's just, like, so meta. But, like, the creation of that box was a craft, too. Yeah. Like, that was woodworking. 
Yeah. To truly. make the chest of drawers that held the trays. Like, like it's just like craft is everywhere. It just keeps going. And then you have your guy that you go to or your family <laughs> of people that yeah. you go to for this one specific thing. Like, talk about how you just went to a cobbler. I was literally about to talk about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, good. Synchronicities. Okay, literally. So I went to a <laughs> You went to a cobbler. <laughs> no, I so I um I've taken up Irish dancing, training it. I did it in college, but I've been training it. Uh, this is my second year doing that. And so I had to get uh, a nicer pair of hard shoes specifically a pair that were not clown shoes that actually fit me. Uh, and so I did, but the shoes that I got had white leather straps on it because the little girls who dance wear white sort of poodle socks. And for um, fashana or performances, when you perform, they want your the shoes and socks sort of to like blend seamlessly. So what'll happen is they'll put the white um, strap on the shoes so that they blend into the socks. I'm not a little girl wearing poodle socks. <laughs> so, we were never little. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's the starting point. Um, but I, so when I perform, I just wear black tights, which I think looks classier anyway. River dance. River dance, yes. Um, so I wear black tights, but then I needed the... Uh, strap, of course, like, switched to black. And so that's not something that you can take to Payless <laughs> or, like, Walmart or, like, any of those big box, like, sort of convenience stores. Because they don't do services. No. That's the key. The only service is the customer service. <laughs> that you do yourself. That <laughs> <laughs> the customer self-service. The customer self-service <laughs> beside the customer self-checkout. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I was talking to the people at the dance studio and they were like, go to a cobbler. And I was like, do I need a map or <laughs> like a feather hat? And yeah. <laughs> like Side all quest. my, literally my questing things. Um and so I looked up cobblers because literally I've never, I've, I've heard of cobblers, but I've never been before. So I was a little intimidated, to be honest. And so I found this one that's actually pretty close to my Aikido dojo. And so I had a whole like cultural day of going to Aikido in the morning and then taking my Irish dance shoes to the cobbler. And you know what? Like, that's the way it should be. It really should. And it wasn't. It wasn't a mainstream cobbler either. It was, like, <laughs> it was like, it was one of those things that just seemed really wholesome and felt really wholesome too. Like it was like a family business, been there forever, like some reputable number of years, like more than 20, I think, like a long time. So they're established. They've been there forever. Um, and then I was nervous, honestly, about going in and asking for their service because I didn't want to be, like, price gouged, I guess. Like, I didn't want to be oversold or something because I didn't know really what I was talking about, except I just need this to be this color. Well, it's like you don't even know necessarily, like, because you've never been to a cobbler. It's like you don't even know 
do they do this service? Like, is this even in the realm of what they're doing? Right. Like, well, that was a whole thing, too. Like, the people at the dance studio were like, you should probably take it to somebody who has done Irish dance shoes before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where am First of all. <laughs> First of all, we just need to track down a cobbler. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so then that was a whole thing. But then when I took it to him and I sort of explained what I needed... Um, he, I was getting more and more nervous because he was like, okay, well, I'm not sure that I have this buckle, so I, like, need to, like, go and source these materials, so that's a whole thing of, like, getting, like, having the materials that you need to actually do your service, and then he was like, I'll probably have to have them shipped here, and then in my head, like, the, there was, like, a little stock market thing, like, going up and up and up, like, in terms of prices, and I was like, I really don't want to have to pay $500 to get the strap placed on this, so I don't know what's happening, but then, I, like, all of that was eased immediately when he was uh he gave me the price for it and it was actually two pair of shoes that I was doing this for so four wow. shoes total wow and he was like yeah it'll be a hundred dollars for everything oh my god I didn't know it was and two I was pairs. like wow that's so nice that like nice. because like considering all of the like outsourcing he's gonna have to do and then um I don't know how long the labor takes. Yeah. Uh, and then the having time, to match the leather. Yeah. And, you know. Like, the time for just keeping that on his schedule. For yeah. Long to wait for the materials to come in. Just- yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that that put a really pleasant taste in my mouth, I guess, for uh, for cobblers specifically. Or just... I mean, cobbler dust tastes I'm, pretty good. Very good. Peach cobbler, very good. Uh, chocolate cobbler, even. <laughs> oh, God. That was so funny. Um, but, yeah, just, yeah, specific, I really, I'm really drawn to people who are very passionate about what they're doing and are doing it because of the passion and not firstly because they're profit. So, like, passion over profit. The specialist. The specialist. And also not being exploitative. Yeah. Of people who don't understand. Like, the welcome arms instead of the gatekeeping. Yes. And that's how I felt when I went to this cobbler. And that's also how I feel at the Aikido Dojo. And really, that's just the energy that I am just allowing in this whole year. I think that's very interesting because, in my experience, I mean, maybe just because I'm talking about myself, but... I think craftspeople are very honest people because they know literally exactly what it takes to get to the end product or end service or whatever it is. They know the whole material sourcing. They know the labor bit. They know the, like, um, planning for a profit margin. Like, they know, literally, like, they do so much math and so much planning to get to the price where they get to. Yeah. And it's really ironic because we've lost as a society, I haven't lost it because I'm a craftsperson, but in general, (laughs) no, um, we've lost the ability to appreciate that. And it's ironic because what's happened is when people do go to crafters or specialist service people like cobblers, they'll hear a price and they'll be like, that's way too much money because we're used to like this mass produced, like whatever. So a good example is recently 
uh, I don't have, I mean, maybe like in the past year or so, Target had a bunch of these like crochet cardigan things in for the season or something. And of course, because if they trended on TikTok, everybody thought they were really cute. But there was a lot of discourse actually because people who actually crocheted looked at these garments and they were like, it's physically impossible for a machine to mass produce these. So therefore, wherever Target is uh, making these clothes, and I'm just referencing this particular TikTok that I found, so I'm not disparaging Target myself. I'm just... <laughs> I'm Target not is not canceled. Yeah, I'm not trying to be sued by Target. But um, this specific TikTok that I had watched, these crochet people were like, there's no way that these clothes, these cardigans would have been able to have been manufactured by a machine. And they had to have been, like, hand crocheted in order to get this specific pattern or whatever. Um, and so the price that these cardigans are selling for, it's, like, what, like, 30 to 50 bucks or something at Target. Which, like, for new clothes, I guess, is good. For me, that's already <laughs> way too much because I never buy new clothes. Um... But it's like, this is a handmade garment. It's only selling for this amount of money. It's like $30, $50. And you can tell, if you're even just slightly knowledgeable in the craft, that this took hours of labor. And that's not even accounting for the profit margin that Target's supposed to be getting through. So it's like, there's something a little exploitative probably happening here. Mm -hmm. But if they tried to sell it for what it's actually worth, the hours of labor and skill required to make this garment, it would be like $500. But people aren't going to pay $500 for a cardigan because we've lost the sense of what quality clothes are supposed to be because we've lost the sense of what craft is. Right. We don't recognize because we have so much mass production going on. Which is very efficient and very helpful in a lot of things. I'm not completely disparaging it. I'm just saying, if you want something that is has craftsmanship to it, you have to try to understand why it would be so expensive and take into account the materials, the time, the amount of time it took for that craftsperson to learn that skill and get to that level of proficiency at it. To understand that, yeah, this is worth this amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, for example, talking about the mermaid, uh, again, mermaiding again, in the mermaid community, there's generally, like, two types of tails, fabric tails and silicone tails. Silicone are going to be the hyper-realistic, very fluid in water, the, like, S-tier, the goal tail. They're 100% handmade. They're, like, these handcrafted, elaborate pieces of practical art that you wear for this very athletic thing. So it's like, they're very, you know, they require all of this silicone, like pounds and pounds of silicone to make. And then you're painting the silicone, you're sculpting the fluke, like you're doing like so many things to make this tail. And so silicone tails are at least like $3,000, you know, to like, we're starting at that. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they can go up to like $10,000. And it's because it's such a, you know, a craft. But to somebody who isn't in the community or something like that, they'd be like, oh, I am not, why would I pay that much money for this? Because they don't have the understanding of the craft. Of the craft, exactly. Yeah. And it's, 
it's quite sad because that means people aren't wanting aren't wanting the craft. And I'm not saying you should want something that's highly artistic and crafty. Like every time you buy something, that's just not realistic. You know, you can't buy a gold plated toilet and crystal glasses. And, you know, it's okay to have the lower tier stuff for things, but it's just sad that. Um, like, I'm honestly impressed that the cobbler didn't charge more because he probably deserved more for four shoes. Well, that's what was surprising to yeah. me about it when he said $100 after he had given me that sort of itemized estimation of yeah. I'm going to have to, like, outsource all this stuff. I don't have this buckle, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, like, I was expecting it sort of to be closer to the two $300 range. Yeah. I was, like, for some straps. But then, because that's not even, like... Because it's $25 a shoe, and that's not even accounting for profit margin materials or time. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, and I don't know how much time it would take him necessarily, because it's a relatively, I would think, a relatively simple, straightforward thing. But I've told you this before. My, like, just generic day rate for a basic thing is minimum $150. Mm-hmm. And Which so, isn't even a lot compared no, to No, that's a that's like that's barely livable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of people who aren't actively participating in the community of craft, and I mean that in the most general sense. Like not any one particular craft, just like have just developing an awareness for the craft around you in whatever field. It's like a muscle you have to train, like I was talking about earlier. If people who haven't practiced that muscle, that eye, that understanding, that that tactile knowledge of touching something, be like, oh, this is quality, this is not. People who just haven't practiced that, they don't, they, they just, they're not able to recognize, like, the importance of craft. And that's, I think, why it's probably not as... Uh, well known or regarded or just appreciated the way maybe it used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, um, yeah, as we've mentioned, it's not really a requirement for daily life, at least in this sort of society where sort of the programming is from three to 22, your like whole day is taken for, for, you know, schooling, essentially, for most people, definitely for us. Um, And then after that, you're not done with school. You have two to five hours of homework Mm -hmm. afterwards. Uh, And then any extracurriculars and activities. And so if you're lucky, you get to do those um, and sort of train those things. But they tend to be pretty limited. So you're, it's great if you love the limited choices, but if you're not particularly called to any of them, then it makes it hard to really first figure out what you are called to if you don't have the options available to you, and then to to gain that knowledge uh, and really build a skill, a foundation of skills in any of those areas that are interesting to you. So it's really, uh, it's always been really cool for me to see you just like say no to all of that, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) 
<laughs> because you've always just very much been um you've really done an amazing job of taking every opportunity to make the opportunity work for you instead of the other way around I would say like all of your school projects were very very crafty very artistic even when they didn't have to be at all like you literally made the burrow <laughs> or not the burrow but like the <laughs> you remember what that was like first do you yes. know what subject that was yeah for? that was biology <laughs> that was yeah. the an the anatomy of a cell <laughs> yeah i made a hobbit house replica like a model because it was my creative interpretation of the cell like a biological animal yeah eukaryotic cell yeah <laughs> and the thing is I didn't have a plan going into that. I was just like, I want to make a Hobbit house because this has been a project I've been wanting to do for a while. Because that was when the Hobbit movies were coming out, right? Oh, yeah. Prime time for Hobbiton. Oh, yeah. Like, 2013. Yeah. And I was like, I've been wanting to make this. I have this project. I don't know how any of the organelles are analogous to the parts of the Hobbit house, but we're going to figure that out later. We're just going to make the model now. Right. And then we'll be really creative later. Yeah. (laughs) And that's honestly the best way to do it. Like, yeah. retroactively make the project work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, the fence around the burrow, this is the membrane. This, <laughs> uh, Truly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how Tolkien designed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Life yeah, imitates yeah. art, or the other way around. <laughs> Something. <laughs> art is life. Art oh, yeah, is art. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, you've always done a really good job of being, like, taking that element of, uh, craftsmanship and interweaving it, like, throughout, and, um, I don't know, it's just always seemed like such a natural thing to you, but not natural in the sense that, like, oh, everybody's creative, it's, like, it's inside all of us, so it seems like it just has to come out of you, like, because it's just there, (laughs) so... What I want to know first, I want to know a lot of things, but the first thing I want to know is, do you remember your very first craft? Oh, man. Because I don't, and so I'm curious if you do. Yeah. Oh, man. Or if you don't remember for sure, what what is, like, one craft that you remember saying... I am going to make this, I guess, like, the first intentional craft. Like, so the thing is, I remember a lot of early crafts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is funny, because I was actually just thinking about this earlier, and I was like, I hope I remember to say this on the podcast, but when I was in, I think it was preschool, like, the first day of preschool, I had, after Dad picked me up, um... He, like, asked me how it was, because this is, like, my first time in the school setting. Big day. And apparently, the first thing I said was, I, like, pause, because I always pause <laughs> before we speak. We need to <laughs> contemplate and consider. Yeah. I was like, well, I liked the crafts. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, facts. 
Like, I'm nothing if not consistent. Right. Because I still like the crafts. Right. Right. <laughs> like, at the Cincinnati Art Museum that I just went to uh, last June, they had a, a, a little section inside that was, like, for children or whatever. And it was basically, like, a bunch of scrap materials, like paper, popsicle sticks. Right peanuts, up your alley. Like, all that. And I was like, oh, we're going in here so I can make a craft. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's time to go. Yeah. So I made a giraffe out of, like, these wooden sticks and yellow twine by, like, wetting the wooden sticks so that you could warp them and then, like, bending them over each other to make, like, this, and then tying mm-hmm. it with the yellow twine and make, like, mm-hmm. this giraffe sculpture. Anyway, that was a recent craft. But, uh, <laughs> to answer your question... All right, this is definitely not, like, the first craft, but definitely the one of the most, like, key crafts. Like, okay. Like, key moment. Yeah. This Core is good memory. lore. Yes. The, the historians are really gonna have to, like, go hard for and this. And I would, if anything happened to him, I would kill everybody in this room and then myself. Like, this is how, <laughs> in like... this room? Yeah. Like, so me. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> this room being the world. Got it. Um, like, this is how much this craft means to me. Um, it's, like, in my closet, like, away, like, so it won't be harmed. Um, I was definitely in elementary school, so I had done crafts before, obviously, because this is after preschool. But... Right. Your training period. Yeah. Yeah. Trial uh, crafts. But this is, like, the, like, my, oh, my God, like, I made this. Um, I didn't know how to sew yet. Because I'm, like... Understandable. Eight years old or something. Right. Um, and... But I was interested in it. Because we had... You know, everybody has it. I don't care who your family is. You have it somewhere. That, like... That cookie set tin. And there's no cookies in it. It's just somebody's, like, ancient sewing materials. Yeah. <laughs> like, thread that's, like, falling apart, yeah. rusted needles, like, the whole lot. Comes when you buy the house. It comes when you buy any house. Yeah. Um, and so I had found that. <laughs> I had found ours. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we unearthed it. We unearthed it. And I didn't know how to use any of the stuff inside. I probably shouldn't have even used any stuff inside because it was falling apart. Um, but I was like, I know what this is for. This is for sewing. And you, you make things by this. You, like bind fabric together like this is how you do it um but even though I couldn't use it having that and knowing that I wanted to do it inspired me to attempt something like it so I I don't know if it was in that same box but I found a roll of gauze not Mm -hmm. like paper-based gauze but more of like a textile gauze like the beige kind like that kind that you wrapped around your foot when you sprayed it and that kind that I wrapped around my wrist when you threw me off of your back and then I sprained my wrist. Well, I think you just fell. <laughs> I think you, we were I wrestling. Think, oh, no, yeah. that's not what was I was riding on your back. You were riding on my back. We weren't wrestling. You, you, well, I no. have a more aggressive perspective. You do. <laughs> I thought I was giving you a nice pony ride. Right. I then just, I turned into a donkey. <laughs> right, and that's where we got thrown off. Anyway, that kind of more fabric-based gauze. Yeah. It wasn't used. It was like a roll of gauze. It wasn't, like, bloodied or anything. Even then you had standards right. for materials. And 
even if it was bloody, that would have use for something else. Right. Um, but <laughs> another project. Um, anyway. And in that. Yeah. I saw this gauze and I was like, this, I see a vision because I see visions. I'm, <laughs> I'm an extremely, I was about to say I'm an extremely. You're a visionary? Well, I, though, I mean, well, uh, there's a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. I was going to say, <laughs> I was about to say that I was extremely photogenic and I was like, wait, <laughs> sorry, oh. that was my Leo rising coming out. <laughs> oh, wow. I meant to say I was ex- extremely, uh. Uh, like, visualize, like, uh-huh. person. You're a <laughs> like, visual learner. A visual learner. Um, which is not quite the same as being photogenic, but, like, we could be both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't limit yourself. Right, limiting beliefs. Yeah. Um, whenever I see a material, I will visualize usually something I can make with it. And so I saw this gauze and I was like, that's an earthworm. And so I was like, how do I, if I close, if I bind the two sides together, we make this tube, right? And then we stuff the tube and we put a face on and it becomes an earthworm. Um, but I can't sew, like, the endings closed. So I will use the next best thing at my disposal, which is staples. So I stapled this worm all down the sides of the gauze. So essentially, like, it's bound. I stuffed it with, like, this little polyester stuffing I had that I probably took from another stuffed animal. Um, and then I glued, because I didn't have sew yet, I glued two buttons on the head at the top and I drew a mouth with a sharpie and then I found a little blue and white polka dot bow and I um, glued that right underneath and I made Wormy. And as you were describing him, I remembered him. You remembered him, right? Isn't he precious? He's the sweetest. He's the sweetest gauze worm ever. Yeah. And it looks pretty good. No, he looks great. Yeah. That's the thing about all of your crap is that, like, (laughs) (laughs) they always, like, even even if it's, like, a first pass and you're figuring it out. Yeah. They always look great. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> but no, that's so interesting that Wormy was, like, at, at least as you remember it, really one of the instrumental things to, you know, get you started in your crafting. It and was. And probably encouraged you to look into sewing. Yeah, because it's, like, me wanting to sew, like, was the thing that made me make that even though it there was no sewing involved Mm. but because I took that first like step just into making something Mm -hmm. that like theoretically could have been sewn Mm -hmm. it was like okay now we can sew right right it was like proximity sewing yeah (laughs) literally like yes (laughs) and like that's not I mean I don't even know I mean I've made so many little crafts and I can remember like random things um I don't know if this was before or after Wormy, but I knew that people preserved, like, flowers and mm-hmm. leaves and stuff, and so I didn't know how to do that, but I was like, well, if I just, like, get an empty Sprite bottle, take the label off, fill it with water, and throw some leaves in there, tie it super tight so that the water can't evaporate, the leaves can't go anywhere. 
Right. <laughs> so like they'll be there. They will be there. And so yeah. I got this like green, or like this green like Sprite bottle. Uh, took the label off, a little water, put some who knows what kind of leaves in there, and like gave it to Dad. And it's like still on his desk, and the leaves are like still intact inside. The water hasn't evaporated. And it's like I don't know what that was. But it's, like, some kind of, it's not really, like, a snow globe. It's not really, like, resin art. But it's just, like, it's something, like, it's, like, it's a child seeing these adult things that adults make and sell and and wanting to participate in that in, in a tactile, hands-on way. And even though they don't have the materials or knowledge or whatever, they don't care. They're just experimenting and doing something. And it was... A brush with biology. It was a brush with biology because I'm all about, like, saving little odds and ends. Odds and ends. <laughs> the bits. The bits. The bits that people probably would be like, why are we saving that? But I like the bits. Yeah. You do. <laughs> you do. You really do like the bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes yeah. they have blood on them, but sometimes we keep the blood, sometimes we clean it off. But I yeah. mean, you know, whatever make sense for the piece that we are making. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I love that you remember Wormy. I, I do remember Wormy. Yeah, and he's very soft. He's so soft. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he wasn't, um, fragile, potentially, because of the glue and not the thread, um, uh, he would be a very good, like, cuddle buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So, where do the ideas come from? And also, where do they go? (laughs) Um, yeah, where do they come from? I mean, other than just being, like, a god, I guess, I, uh, no, um, I really don't know, to be honest. I know it's not really, like, a satisfactory answer. I guess it's just... It's both a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways to have a very active mind when you just have such a vast intellect when you're j- <laughs> um so, so this is funny actually because when I did my interview with Mika which I know we have not even brushed on that so people are probably like what uh anyway I had a chat with Mika and he asked me to <laughs> the uh, English uh, singer songwriter he asked me to describe myself in one word, and because I'm a little uh, chatty, I was like, oh, mm-hmm, did that whole, like, uh, like filler word thing while I'm trying to think of a word. He was like, no, 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 just one word. And I was like, okay, well, I gotta shut up and just say one word. <laughs> I thought for a minute, and I eventually landed on a noun, <laughs> which... Which threw him for a loop, because he, because usually if you say describe yourself, I think usually the person is expecting you to use an adjective. Because describe is usually in the definition of adjective. Yes. Uh, but I did, I, which I tend to do, I broke the rules without even really meaning to, it's just because that's how I am. And I said, inspiration. (laughs) And he said, I still remember the look. On his face, he he just kind of paused, and I wasn't quite sure if it was the video lag from Europe or if he was actually pausing, but I'm pretty sure he was actually paused. And he, like, kind of knit his eyebrows together, and he tilted his head, and he was... Okay, so I'm gonna need you to 
break my rules for a second and <laughs> elaborate in more than one word on that. <laughs> He's like, do you mean that you're inspiring? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I mean that I just constantly feel inspiration all the time from everything. And so that's where the ideas come from, whether it's inspiration to watch something a certain night, eat something, or in terms of craft and creating, like, create something. So, for me, I tend to find inspiration in the discarded, which sounds really dramatic, uh, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Basically, all of our favorite musicals. Basic. That's actually very true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's just, I don't know, I guess I just like an underdog. <laughs> an inanimate underdog. Right. But I find inspiration in the things that you're not, society says you're not supposed to find inspiration in. The things that you're not supposed to find beauty in. The things that are supposed to be sent to the landfill, the things that are broken, the things that are only supposed to be used for this one specific pur purpose, I'm like, no, we can use it for something else. Oh my god, do you know who you are? Oh my god, who? You. <laughs> I forget her name. You are the trash lady in Elmo and Rushland. <laughs> I was just thinking about her. I think about her all the time. She's so pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah, what is her name? Oh my god. I was bad. I was gonna watch Elmo and Rushland pretty recently. Oh, and you should. I think I should. It's the, like, best musical. Um, everybody should yeah. watch it. Talk, also, talk about craft. The, sh the washing machine shot. Oh my gosh. That's Shout out to my professor, Chip. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> like, I have to bring that up. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so here's an example. Um, I took a color theory class at Chapel Hill. All of my arts classes at Chapel Hill I really liked. Um, and I like quite a few of the biology ones, too. But my minor in studio art, I really liked pretty much all of those except one. But we don't need to shout her out. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I took this color theory class and one of the, I enjoyed that class because the assignments were pretty vague each time. It was just like, okay, use this new color theory concept and like make something in this medium. And I was like, great. So one of the things was to do a still life painting of anything. And I was like, cool. And for some reason, I felt really inspired to watch Elmo and Grouchland that night. Because I hadn't seen it, seen it in a hot And minute. when that inspiration kicks in, <laughs> we listen to that intuition. Exactly. And that's why I'm like, this is, like, having inspiration is a craft, like, just opening yourself up to the availability of being inspired. Mm. You know? So there's a degree of openness and yes. listening to your intuition, which is different for you than listening to your body's intuition. Yes, those and are like that two is, different things. You're developing that separately. Yes. The, those two different come, journeys. But when they come together, yeah. I, it's like I'm the brain expanding meme. Got that it. I've reached. Yeah. But um But you were feeling inspired to watch Elmo and Grouchland. I was. And uh and, um, I had known that to be a good and true fact, like, earlier in the day, so yeah. <laughs> while the sun was out, um, I had this rubber duck, and I've always liked rubber ducks quite a lot. Okay, Ernie. <laughs> right. 
Um, and because they're just such a classic, like, object, you know? Yeah. They symbolize so many different things for different people, but I know that we always had a rubber duck playing in the bathtub, and it's just it's just such a pure, like, joyous object, mm-hmm. you know? The rubber duck ride at Sesame Street. Yeah, oh my god. No, that is, like, such a core memory. That is so cool. Who would not want to ride in a huge rubber duck float? Yeah, right. Like, that's, like, the best of everything. It sounds like something from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right, doesn't it? Oh my god. But, so I took this rubber duck, and I photographed it in our bathroom upstairs, and I was like, this is perfect because this is a color theory class. I can't remember if we, I think we had to do a specific color scheme so i i chose to do primary colors um because you can't it's always a good you know red blue yellow you can't go wrong i'm that color scheme i'm pretty familiar with yeah yeah so i was like our bathroom is a very nice pale grayish a a muted blue and this yellow this duck is also a very nice yellow and the duck has just the perfect amount of bright red on its lips that it won't completely drown out the muted blue, but it still is enough red to be like, this is a tertiary, like, primary color palette. Um, so I photographed this duck with nice natural lighting coming in, and I, I pulled this my reference up on my laptop. And then, in in order to make sure I, like, put my passion into it, I watched Elmo and Grouch land whilst painting this duck. And, because there's, you know, there's ducks in <laughs> Elmo, Elmo world. Yes. Um, and so, like, feeding off of, like, that childish, childlike, uh, you know vibe vibe of Elmo and Grouchland and like making this art you know while enjoying myself you know and then painting this sort of nostalgic still life it's it's it ended up be I did it all in the entirety of that film which is not a super long film because it's for children oh no it is like 70 minutes yeah long. like I think it's like 76 minutes or something. yeah <laughs> I looked at it recently <laughs> um <laughs> but uh I painted this this whole duck. I, I didn't even draw it out. I just looked at the reference and started painting without doing any kind of, like, pencil drawing. And I painted this whole thing, this 12 by 12 acrylic painting, um, within the span of watching this musical. And it's honestly, like, one of my favorite paintings I've ever done. It's such a, like, solid painting. Of a rubber duck. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's quite funny, actually, because I had listed that on my red bubble, which I don't really use, but I was like, if anybody, like, wants this printed on something, sure. And so, like, I haven't had a single sale on Redbubble since when I opened it, but, like, a month or two ago, I just got a random email being like, congratulations, you made a sale. And I was like, I've never- Oh. And somebody, I think they're from Ireland, bought my rubber duck printed as, like, one of those acrylic blocks. And I was like, that's so cool that my little Elmo-inspired rubber duck painting is just existing as a little acrylic block in Ireland. That is really cool. Yeah, and it's like, I got like $2 from that, but like, it's like really cool. But it is a thing that exists in the 3D. Yeah. Yeah. So, and probably brightens their day. Oh yeah, probably. And that's really cute too. You yeah. know, because like, it brightens my day. It's, hang- it's really cute because... 
the duck, I had photographed it sitting on top of, like, the toilet because it was a nice white, um, like, surface for it to sit on for right. its close-up shot. So it's still sitting there. He's still... He is still my there. My model's still sitting there. And it's really cute because I don't know if you've, you haven't been home since I framed it, but I've since mm. framed the original painting. Oh, you have? Because I found a really nice uh, kind of elementary, like, your playroom kind of style frame for mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. With, a, with a mat. And I framed the original finally, and I put it on on the wall that's where the window is, like on the left side of it. So it's like if you walk into the bathroom, there's the the model duck sitting where he was referenced, right? And then it's like his paintings right there. That's so cute. <laughs> I know it's really cute. And the way that he's sitting, his head is sort of like turned to the side, yeah. so maybe he's like looking at it. Almost. Yeah, <laughs> it's just such a like joyous paint. It's just a still life, but it's. It just, knowing the context that it was created in, like, color theory class and playing with colors. And primary colors are already a very, you would know because you made torn. I did. Your short film. Uh, (laughs) Primary colors have a very adolescent feel to them. They do. Very elementary. Very elementary. And so that combined with, like, the joy of just relaxing and watching this musical while whilst like painting it it's, it, it, it you can feel the vibes <laughs> you know when looking at the face yeah so anyway to loop this all back where did the ideas come from i don't know i literally will see anything and i will instantly have an idea and sometimes it's a partial idea sometimes it's like i see the vi- the final product in my head Mm -hmm. and I'm like okay I will not be able to rest until we've pre-produced it produced it post-produced it and like packaged it yeah and it's done and it's done we've posted it and it's done and now we can receive the next thing and it's a little the reason why I say it's a blessing and a curse is because I literally can't keep up with my ideas which is crazy because you go so fast. <laughs> I'm glad you think I do. Like, it is so... Like, the number of crafts that you made in preschool is more than, like, I'm ever going to complete. And that's not, like, <laughs> disparaging against me. It's just, like, that's how fast your brain goes. And how fast your, like, artistic ability is at keeping up with it. Which is crazy to me. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, a lot of, like, you, I mean... The first crafts in any medium are not going to be, like, exemplar, I guess. But I just... It's insane, to be honest. It's not... (laughs) (laughs) It literally is crazy. It's literally crazy. Um, I don't necessarily recommend it because it's kind of hell sometimes. Um, Because it's, like, really hard to have to... Because it's, like, my greatest limiting thing is time and energy. Like, I am naturally, like, I'm not super energetic I'm an introvert I need time to rest and recover and it's really hard actually for me to just have a day where I just like don't do anything creative even if I really just need a day to just sit down and watch tv or something because it's like I I'll feel bad if I'm not actively practicing any kind of craft and like a guilt yeah and like I don't I don't have, I know, I've accepted it, that I don't have enough time to do every single idea because I, they just keep coming in. <laughs> like, but, You need a bouncer. Right, I know, we need a bouncer. <laughs> um, 
the Columbus Cologne last call was. Well, honestly, honestly, well, that's, I'm, I'm better at that, though, because I, I mean, I've, so I've done, like, commissions for thing, a wide variety of commissions. I've done teeth jewelry, I've done pet portraits, I've done plushie making, um, even just fixing people's clothes. Like, I've, I've, I've clothes are usually mine. <laughs> unpaid. Yeah. Unpaid labor. Unpaid labor. Um, and it's like, I've gotten better. Like, so I made these bun bun plushies, these pink rabbit plushies specifically made to look like this character from the anime, um, Orin High School Host Club. Cause I really like that anime. And, I got really good at making these bun-bun things. And I I can't remember what number I ended on, but it was, it was like, close to 50. Which is a lot, because they're entirely handmade. You know, and, like, I drafted the pattern, like... And then, like, halfway through, I started doing recycled stuffing. Because I can't just... I can't just not use trash. Like, I have... Like, yeah. <laughs> there is always, like, an element of upcycling... And what you I do, are the trash lady. I am the trash. I literally am the trash lady. You should also that would be such a good cosplay. cosplay. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I was literally about to say that. Like w- that would be such a cool cosplay. Oh my god! I could use your little Elmo to like make him like sit on my knee. Or- yeah. Um, Blow raspberries. Yeah. Oh my god! That's kind of like what blowing bubble rings as a mermaid's like underwater. You're like. Oh my god, what if you were her but as a mermaid? Wait, that is so... Wait, take her color palette and yeah. make it as a tail? Yeah. Uh, Get I, her crown? Yeah, oh my god, she would work so good as a mermaid. Wait, stop. Sarah, see, and this is what I mean. <laughs> I can't, like, you can't just say things. Because, like, now that's something I have to do. And I can't stop thinking about it. But, um... I don't even remember what we were talking about. <laughs> um... You are the trash lady. You were talking about your bun buns. Oh, my bun buns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was, like, trying to set a boundary. Like, I made enough of those. I got to the point of being pretty efficient at it. And I was like, these were a good run. I'm setting the boundary. I'm not doing these anymore. Right. And that was a big step for you. It was. Because it's like, I will feel... Because I feel this guilt. Like, oh, if I can make it, I should make it. Because that's money I can get. Right, because the default is if you have a skill, you need to pay, you need to get paid for that skill. Yeah, and if you have an opportunity, like, you literally have somebody being like, hey, I will pay you for this, you would be, you would be, um, ungrateful to not take that opportunity. Right. Because there's so many artists, so many starving artists that, like, that aren't getting commissions or something like that. So it's like, but I don't, I like doing commissions when I'm inspired to do that, to practice that specific medium. I don't like doing things that I don't want to do. You really don't. I really don't. And that's why it took me three years post-graduating to get a job. And even then it only lasted 30 days. Yeah, but like, (laughs) but (laughs) that job though was like, I mean, it wasn't, well, first of all, it was your job. Like, it, oh, that yeah. job came to you. I knew and it was going to be my job. Yeah. It was, like, from my perspective, you did, like, on paper, I guess, your path of going to college. First, you expedited that. We did expedite college. Uh, I guess we'll just do a really quick roundup. Um, yeah. I I was a typical gifted student, which doesn't mean anything, but that's what I was. 
And <laughs> so basically, it means I took a bunch of AP classes, learned a bunch of useless skills, like writing, uh, like a grade five essay, like, like, just like the highest thing, like essay in like 30 minutes, because that's a useful adult skill to have. Um, <laughs> anyway, basically gave me college credit, was able to hack the system, get college credit twice for every single class, because UNC Chapel Hill didn't check didn't cross-examine with uh, the community college. So essentially it shaved off a year and a half, right? A year and a half of my bachelor's degree. So I got my, I graduated high school in 2017. I graduated with an associate's in 2018 and I graduated with a four-year degree after not four years (laughs) in uh, 2019. (laughs) Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. And then, so uh, lots of fun panorama stuff happened then. Yeah. And... (laughs) What? I graduated literally right into the beginning of a pandemic with a degree that I did not want to pursue professionally. Right, right, right. But that opportunity of slowness offered you a chance to really invest in your uh, in your different interests and crafts artistically and to explore a whole bunch of different avenues. Uh, one, the most notable to me being uh, your collage and then also your social media presence as well. Yeah, you I do love, love collage. Yeah, and you did a really <laughs> you did a really good job of like not sitting there and lamenting. like lamenting and festering. And I mean, we can like do a little bit of that. Like a little bit of that is perfectly fine because we are human, particularly between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. Oh, yes, favorably. Um <laughs> and so, but what you did was you used that energy and directed it. Like, you, it, it, <laughs> like a, it like came in. Yes, literally. And then you directed it all and poured it into your craft. So, when you finally found this beautiful opportunity, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about, um, it... It was just very obvious and clear that it was for you and it wound up being exactly what you needed and everything you wanted. And it showed you like what your um, professional worth. Yeah, I was prepared. Like there wasn't an ounce of me that was like, oh, I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I've never said that before about anything. <laughs> so like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, like, I do want to take a moment to acknowledge the privilege in being able to do that. Because there is, a, there is like, I was going to mention it earlier, but then the conversation went waywards. But there is privilege in being able to pursue craft, to obtain craft, to own craft, to uh, appreciate craft. You know, usually craft because it costs more, because it's less accessible because it involves more time, whether you're practicing it or purchasing the product of it or service of it, it is going to be like a privilege depending on your, what you were born into, where you live, like your race, your sex, your gender. Like, of course, all of these like intersectional points affect every aspect of your life and craft is no different. So I do want to say there is privilege definitely in what, my early career, which I'm still very much in, like, early, early career, my primordial career (laughs) started off with, because I do recognize that there's privilege in having parents and 
being able to live with parents and not needing to get a full-time job right away and you know being able to kind of take a breather and step back so like i do recognize that i am privileged in those regards um and the pursuing of craft or an artist or creator or whatever term you like i like the label artisan because i feel like artisan is like a happy medium between craftsperson which has a much more like practical goods connotation versus artist which has like impractical goods connotation artisan kind of seems like a nice happy medium between craftsperson and like some uppity painter you know um i did have like in retrospect like i i did really appreciate the, i did have a really good pandemic not gonna lie <laughs> like the like solid pandemic right yeah. like i did a lot of things and like it felt very nice cause it, it felt like a good excuse to take a step back and just be artsy and nobody's gonna be like oh like everybody slow down yeah you didn't have you didn't feel the judgment that comes with being a newly graduated young person it was an excuse not that like I need an excuse because I really don't like the whole typical life structure anyway which you understand I get it um but it did feel like a nice excuse to hide behind, like, okay, I'm not expected to get a job working in a lab right now. Yeah. They're not hiring. <laughs> Literally, like, get out of the labs. Like, like, get out of the labs. Yeah, like, like something got out of the labs, and now we need to, like, get right. out of the labs. Like, <laughs> Literally. Um, so, yeah, those, like, the, the pen, which, honestly, I guess I'm still technically in, but I do definitely feel like since having my touring job and now with the mermaiding thing, and just, like, the my really fine-tuning of my collage art and uh, enhancing, like, my content creation skills, like, photo photo and video editing, like, I really do feel more direction now, but I do still feel in the uh, experimental phase, which I think I always will feel, because I think you should always feel in the experimental phase. Oh, totally. At least, like, I... I really like the phrase lifelong learner. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. We always need more L's, you know? We, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so... Letter begins with L. Your letter begins with L. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think those are all very fair and valid points. I think it's also, uh, you know fair to not uh take too much of that away from you know what you did manage to accomplish in your time uh in that time for yourself um even though there might well in your case there was a lot of like like physical representations of the things that you did in terms of your artwork and your um everything on social media and all of your um like uh you know, miscellaneous, like, costumes and things like yeah. that, and jewelry, of course. Um, but, yeah, so... That's just what I... I'm, I'm just a miscellaneous folder. M-I-S-C, period. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No time to spell that out. No. Yeah, even though that does also have some L's in it. It's a good word. It's solid word. Really not fun to spell. Um, but... So, when you were (laughs) at the 
beginning of this year, which we touched on, yes. you had uh, a very, very exciting opportunity to tour with the artist Mika, mm-hmm. who we've both been a fan of for a long time. Michael Holbrook Pennyman Jr., yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was wondering if you could speak about what what is it like to be in the presence of someone who is sort of a master of their craft or like really and really in their element it's really just like i thought i already felt inspired it's like an (laughs) overwhelming Mm. amount of inspiration and it's not like i i definitely like fangirl over things i love being a fan of things i think fan has been um like that word has been given a negative connotation because it's usually associated with like women being overly obsessed with things and then you know the whole like sexist take and everything like that but i i you know i'm I love being a fan of things, but I, I'm not necessarily, like, starstruck, I guess, by people wh- whom I find inspirational. I'm more so just, like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> like, yeah. let's talk. Like, I want to pick your brain. I want to get to your level. Not necessarily, like, oh, I want to be a musical artist, but, like, I want to get to your... The, the level of, like, craftsmanship that you're showing in what you do is, like, what I want to obtain and what I do. Mm-hmm. And with every single artist or inspirational person, it's, like, a, you know, it's, like, a, I find them inspirational for a different reason. So, like, Mika's artistry is very special to Mika, and he, he holds such a special place in my life, in my heart, that, like, no other artist could ever hold in that very unique, speci- special way, simply because there is no other person like him, exactly, you know? And he is just very intensely himself. He is so intensely himself. It's because he's a Leo. Um, <laughs> but no, he's a, he's just so wonderful. Like, I, I, I knew that I was going to appreciate every single, like, aspect of tour. The stressful parts just as much as, like, the good parts. But I... Nothing could have really prepared me for just how much I appreciated just those mundane parts. Like, he's not performing. He's just there. (laughs) And it's like, he's doing amazing. (laughs) Like, you know, like, he's still inspiring me somehow, even though he's just standing there. Because he's just himself. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, he's so comfortable with himself. He's so comfortable with expressing himself whether it is artistically during a concert or if it's just him, you know, being him backstage and the way that he talks, the things that he finds funny, um, the way that he's just a human like anybody else. And it's just, it's like every, like not necessarily, I'm not like trying to sound like I idolize somebody because I don't really idolize people. I don't like the idea of, saying, like, oh, this person is a god, like, actually believing that. (laughs) Like, I might joke, like, oh, this person's a god, you know? But, like, I don't actually think in terms of, like, oh, this person's above me. Because that's not true. Nobody's above 
anybody. Right. And it's not healthy to put people on pedestals. It's not. It's not. And I feel like when you put people on pedestals, it's like you're restricting yourself from accessing that same level in your own way. And I'm not... I'm like... I really love you and I'm fanning over you, but, like, I just want to get to know you because I want to get to my own level, whatever equivalent that is to you. And, like, I just feel excited, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, I don't know, and it, but it also, even though there's all this excitement and overwhelming and inspiration, it's also, it just feels right. It doesn't feel like bad excitement. It's mm-hmm. not overstimulating. There's, it's not constantly like it's adrenaline or whatever. It's also like neutral periods. And I think that's how you know, like, yeah, this person is a good person for me in whatever way that means. Whether it's like a work partner, which technically you use my coworker, or a, you know, a friend or whatever. Like, it just, it felt human and it felt natural. And I felt like I could be myself around him. Like, I didn't feel necessarily because like in the past i've struggled especially with the pandemic years because i haven't done anything traditional you know i would feel like a failure talking to people because it's like yeah i do all my crafty things and i genuinely enjoy them and i'm satisfied with them but it's like i haven't done anything you know in terms of like oh i got the big girl job i moved out i I bought health insurance like (laughs) you know like the big girl things um but around Mika, I didn't feel like a runt, you know, like physically maybe a little bit because he's pretty tall and he's I'm a pre- tall boy. He's a tall boy. He's like six two or six three, and I'm at least a foot shorter than that. Uh, but like I felt like it was okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever stage I was in my career, I felt like it was okay because all creative, artistic people. Like, they don't, they kind of have, like, the same kind of, like, what am I doing beginning, you know? Yeah. And he, I don't know, it just, it just felt, oh, like, yeah, this is, this is, like, my human, you know? Mm-hmm. This is one of, like, I don't necessarily believe in, like, soul families or whatever, but when you watch tarot readings, they'll refer to, like, soul connections or soul families or soulmates or, like, the idea that they're basically just, like, there are certain people that resonate really with you and you just feel comfortable around them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the people that I am fans of, or even if I have or haven't met them, when I, if I do eventually meet them, I'll find that, oh, I actually don't really feel anxious around you. Which is crazy because as we've said, I'm an anxious person. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, like when we were first talking on our interview, I, I just... Um, like, the first ten seconds, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, wow, I'm, like, talking to this man whom I have admired intensely for, like, you were my number one Spotify artist for, like, ten years, dude. Like, Spotify hasn't even existed. I don't know what's... But, um... But, like, after that... Back when Spotify was Swedish. Right, oh my gosh. But, um... Yeah, it's just, like, kind of like a... It just feels like coming home and, like, you're accepted and also intensely inspired but also able to just exist and be neutral Mm, so it was uh, an acceptance a feeling of acceptance and also of energizing yes because I knew that there was nothing I could say that would make him well one because he's a lovely person but (laughs) but because he wouldn't do this anyway but like there's nothing that I could say that he would be like oh that's weird or like that's like we're gonna outcast you now 
One, right. he's a lovely person. He wouldn't do that anyway. But two, like, because he's so himself, he, like, there's nothing I could do that he would be like, that's weird. Because, yeah. like, he's weird. Like, he's, we're all He's weird. a little weird. Yeah. We're all, like, just weird people, like, yeah. expressing ourselves. And it's great. So it's, like, that kind of just a basic, like, human level of acceptance and be like, yeah, we're all doing our crafts. It's so true that there is a level of just calmness and, I guess, some sort of, like, peace. But for me, it's more just, like, calmness and, like, quiet, like, comforting quiet when you find these people, creative people that you can that you just naturally feel comfortable around because it's so hard. I think sometimes for creative people to find their sort of stride or rhythm in a more traditional path or way of life. And in order to create anything that they want to create or we want to create, I think you first have to create a space for yourself, and that can be so exhausting. So I totally understand. It's so hard, especially, like, with us, like, as, like, INTJ, like, awkward, like, introvert, like, people think I hate them, (laughs) like, all the time when it's just my face. Like, I've never had, because I sped through college, didn't really like my college, to be honest. Um, (laughs) No drama, but... (laughs) Y'all suck. Um, <laughs> little drama. <laughs> little drama. Um, but, like, I had never really felt like I'd found my people. And doing tour with Mika, like, that one month in April was the first time I felt like I had a group of people. And it's, like, such a feeling of community. Especially with a high-intensive highly intensive environment such as that like you're it's in the everyday you're not gonna run into a group of people that are crazy enough to be traveling every other day have concerts every other day be working past midnight be getting a regular like three or five hours of sleep and having a smile on their face the entire time like you're just probably not gonna find that at least not like probably not as in, in an as dense amount of people as that you know like so like touring is such a it really is like your your group of people and you're like with them all the time and you're like a wide variety of demographics like wide variety of nationalities especially for Mika since he's very active in Europe our our crew was just like we have Belgian French English pretty I think we had Australian like, American, like, we, I mean, it's just, like, all of these mixing is wide demographic, but it's, like, we all just, like, oh, Italian, like, we all just, like, mixed and meshed so well and so intensely and intimately in a way that I've never had before, which is quite impressive because we did it all in 30 days. Not even 30 days because I wasn't, I didn't even meet them till like, halfway through. <laughs> so, um... And the second time I've only ever felt that, which is why this year is just, like, crazy transformative for me, which mm-hmm. makes sense because it's Year of the Tiger, and I'm Year of the Tiger. And so I knew going into the year it was going to be a highly transformative year because I was like, okay, it's my year again. Also, your 23rd year is, like, known to be your transformative year. So uh, 
you know, I was, like, prepared for the transformation, but it's yeah. still really neat to see it manifest, you know? Um, we love to see it. We love to see it. So the second time I felt that sort of tight-knit, like, tight-knit, like, intimate, like, these are my people. They don't think I'm weird. Like, I can talk about my things with them is my mermaiding camp. Because we're all there to be mermaids. Right. You're there for a very specific endeavor. Yeah. And it's like, they all want to swim. They like to swim. Oh my god. I've never had a group of friends who like to swim. I don't even have friends who know how to swim. <laughs> That's not true. Some of my friends know how to swim. But <laughs> it was just like, because I always love swimming because like I'm supposed to be in the water like that's where I'm supposed to be I'm a, I'm a water sign like I'm like that's my place uh <laughs> so like to have these two experiences like the Nikator and my mermaiding camp and I don't know what the third M is gonna be but I hope it's something good it'll be something and if if there's not a third M it'll at least be M&M's Right, which are not my favorite candy, but I mean, it, it's I they can, hit sometimes. They hit some like in the McFlurry when the machine's not broken. Oh yeah, yeah. always uh, at cookout. Always, oh, and yeah. honestly, the cookout ones are better because they use the little ones. Yeah, yeah, little is mm, key. But um, to have like to to go from never having felt like I had like a community of people like that to now having like these two experiences where I did, it's. It really just brings you a lot of, uh, like, serotonin. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And dopamine. All of the chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> all the naturally occurring chemicals. We just hike those right up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's really encouraging to hear, and I'm glad that you've been able to sort of find or attract, I guess, actually, um, and go after those sort of communities and also that they didn't feel like forced because sometimes when you put yourself in those situations I don't know about you but it sort of is just like okay we're like honestly all of my schooling felt like that like okay we're in high school now so we do the high school things okay we're in college now so we do college things I think for me for better or for worse I'll kind of throw in the towel pretty early. Yeah. So I don't really go it through with anything where I'm like, okay, the vibe doesn't pass. Yeah, it does not pass the V-Bay check. It does not. So, whereas you, you have, like, a more... You, like, you you commit and you, like, go through the motions and you, you succeed. You get the thing on paper, but you don't necessarily have, like, the experience, I guess, that... Maybe it was supposed to be. Right. Um, whereas me, I just won't do the experience. Right. Which sometimes I should, because it's like, I think experiences are good, but um, I usually just, like, I just won't do it. <laughs> like. Which try, I respect. Try to get a job on campus, couldn't do that. I was like, okay, I just won't get a job. Tried to join an honor society on campus. Turned out to just be a glamorized frat. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. So I just didn't do it. They didn't let transfer students do honors. So I was like, okay, I just won't do honors. Like, I just, like, don't have the energy to, like, put up a fight or try to obtain an experience if it 
is automatically a no. <laughs> like, immediately no. Yeah. Um, which is, like, not... Because it's good to be persistent in things. So, this is, you know, it's a balance. But, but it's, like, if you didn't really feel called to do those things anyway, and you're getting no. an immediate no, yeah. then you might as well listen to it, because that saves you so much energy and time that you can just redirect into your art. Exactly. And that's why I'm, like... I think that's why I am like that, because, like I said, I have so many ideas. It's, it's like, okay, well, I literally have 500 other things I'd rather be doing right now anyway, so (laughs) I'm gonna go do those. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that you redirected to and was a a pandemic gain for you was uh, launching your, um, I guess, more like establishing your brand, I guess I would say. I mean, I mean, it's just yourself. Yeah. Like, (laughs) which I love, like, authentically yourself. And, um making it consistent across all of your platforms and everything, but you did a lot of research into uh, social media, like we said, but also into galleries, too. Uh, and and you started taking commissions for things, and, of course, you had your Bun Bun uh, experience, yeah. <laughs> which was sort of, like, your mass production phase. It kind of was, though. <laughs> I Yeah. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like, any key uh, takeaways that you had from all of, like, your business ventures so far mm-hmm. and how that has affected your experience with crafting because it is so intertwined and is, like, you. Yeah. Um... Wow, that's a heavy question because it's like I don't even like I'm honored that you feel like I'm at a level where you can ask that because <laughs> it's like <laughs> I still feel like I'm like treading water. <laughs> well, I mean that's at, the whole thing, though. Yeah, that's the whole thing of doing anything creative yeah. is that you are literally just treading water. Yeah, the whole time you really are. And sometimes like there's a current, and sometimes you can float on your back, but. uh... Um, or sometimes you can dive down, but only to 25 feet. Um, right. I mean, so the first thing I did was have a stage name. (laughs) (laughs) Key. Key, right. Which is not a requirement, but it's definitely good to know what you would want to go by. But it's also important to be like, don't stress about it, because... Something that I've learned is, from people before me, so, like, a lot of YouTubers, it is okay to rebrand at any point. Mm. And it's okay to quit your job at any point and do something else. Like, it is okay to pivot. And that's a really hard thing, because you're taught you can't do that. You're taught you're building all of your life up. You're going to choose the college. You're going to choose a major. Now you have to do this because you, you spent 20 years to get here. So what are you going to do? Not do it? You invested literal time and resources and other people's resources yeah. into it. So you should stick with it. But you wouldn't say that about a toxic relationship. You wouldn't say, well, you've already been, you're, you've been with them for five years. You can't just end the relationship now. Like... No, yeah, you can. If it's talk, like, why would you want to spend the next 30 years like that just because you've only invested five now? Yes, it might seem like a lot now, but like 30 years from now, you know, that's 
<laughs> six times as long. So <laughs> literally. <laughs> so like you should take that same point with your career. And so at least that's what I think so far. I'm speaking like I'm doing anything. Like, <laughs> like I'm not early career. Like I have a job right now. Um so I didn't know what I mean I still don't know, but like I know when I made my like my public account under the stage name that I was using, because I was using that same name when I was doing or attempting <laughs> to do acting when I was in high school, like when I had like my agent, uh, which sounds more professional than it really turned out to be. But um, when I was trying to do acting, I was like using the same stage name. So I was like, I'm just going to keep it. It's fine. Sarah's using it. It's fine. <laughs> um. And I didn't know, like, what I wanted to do, because I wanted to do everything. So I just started off with, like, the tagline in my bio. It's like, Hiya, I'm Laura. Because I like to say that when I introduce myself. And just followed by, I like to be creative. Because it's a very broad sentence. And all-encompassing. And all-encompassing. Because it's a true fact, and it can mean anything. Um, and so I just, like, would do projects that inspired me. And it might be making a plushie, it might be making jewelry, it might be doing cosplay, it might be doing a painting, it might be like a vlog style thing, it, just like anything like remotely creative. Uh, and it and it hasn't really been until like after I graduated college when I had the pandemic years, which I guess we're still technically in, I don't really know, um, <laughs> that I started to finally like have words that I that resonated enough with me to adopt them as part of the permanent identity. So, for example, collage artist, crafter. Like, I always knew I was a crafter, but it's another thing to be like, I am a crafter, you know? Right. Yeah, to assume that identity and put yourself in a box. Yeah. To some extent. And cosplayer, costumer. Um, and I just really love content creator. Like, we just really took all the C words yeah. and we took them in. <laughs> Cookie monster. Cookie monster. Why not? Yeah. Um so, is Cookie Monster in England called the Biscuit Monster? <laughs> you know, I think I've heard that. Really? I think so. I, well, I don't know because over there, biscuits are like tea biscuits. That's true. Cookies are like... cookies are like, cookies, a, are like yeah, cookies. cookies do exist there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Biscuit Monster. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... And I really only felt like adopting those titles when I felt like I had gotten, like, kind of good and kind of established in terms of my aesthetic in each of those, like, fields, I guess. You'd uh, achieved a certain level of competence and comprehension. Yeah. And application. And, it, like, internally. Yeah. Like, not from other people saying I have. Like, like I, while I do, like, external validation... I am proud to say that, like, everything that I do, I'm doing it because I want to do it. Right. Like, I'm making this collage because I want to do it. Like, I'm feeling inspired internally to do it. And that's just how I run. Because inspiration is very much an internal motivator. It's hard to be external. You can't be. I don't think you can be externally motivated. Can you? I, I just don't think that's right. So. You can be uh, externally encouraged. Yeah. But, it, like, inspiration is such a personal thing that you yeah. feel. Like, 
so my projects, that's why they're all, they're all passion projects because that's just the way I operate and that's the way I have to be. And I want my career to be a passion project. Some people they're fine with their work, not being that they like the stability of like a nine to five or whatever. It doesn't need to be what they're passionate about. And they're fine with that. I am not like that. I can't do that. Um, so yeah, just like practicing my craft in various mediums and finally feeling comfortable enough to adopt those titles and but be also being comfortable enough with adopting multiple titles and being like, it's okay to be more than one thing. And other people are just gonna have to accept it. Because I'm not, I literally can't change it. So other people are just gonna have to accept it. And it's their choice if they want to keep up with the 500 things I'm doing or not. Right. And not feeling guilty that you are a multi-passionate individual. And that's really hard to do because even for, even if you were encouraged from birth to choose an artistic thing, which you, which you are, because everybody's like, you're going to be a starving artist. Um, even if you were encouraged to pursue creative endeavors, it's like always like, okay, you need a niche down now. You need to specialize in something because that's how you make money is how you do brand. And I'm like, I think that that was true at one point, like five, 10 years ago. But I think the trend now, like, honestly, I think we're starting to switch into uh, multi-potential. It's uh, multi-hyphenates, people who are, have many things going on for them. I think we're now finally starting to switch to that. And I genuinely do think we are. And I hope we are because I don't need to create 10 Instagram accounts for every single thing I do. Right. It's just too much. It's too much. And it's like, it's not interesting. It's in, it's more interesting if I have so many things going on on my one page. Yeah. That's so much more interesting and fun. It's a lot more stimulating. It is. And it's like, I really do genuinely think that we are shifting towards that trend. Um, and so... Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll pick my, like, I think it's, I think it. I mean, all that said, I do think it's good to have a good, like, a couple or several keywords to describe yourself, even if they are broad. So, like, for me, collage, craft, cosplay, slash costume, slash content creation. And that pretty much sums up everything I do. Like, everything I do fits into somewhere in there. Um, and so, like, that's what I found. And they'll overlap at points. They'll, you know, they'll do their thing. It is important to have, like, some kind of description establishing your brand. But, I mean, it's also important to not be too hooked on to it because you're allowed to change and transform. In fact, it's encouraged, you know. Like like, like I was saying earlier, the like YouTubers, so, for example, like Daniel Howe, <laughs> he's going to hate this, but he went by Dan is not on fire, which he hates that, you know, YouTube name now. But he has since grown and evolved as a person, as people are wont to do. <laughs> and he now goes by his just his name, which is Daniel Howell. And, like, that's the name of his channel now. And that's his branding. And we're still here. His audience is still here. He's going on tour this year. I'm meeting him in October. So it's like, you can still be successful every time you rebrand. Yeah. It's just... It's just persisting and is still just wanting to be your genuine self. So just allowing, being open-minded to your genuine self, wherever that takes you. 
And I think the right people or the people that will energize you and that you'll want to keep around anyway will just open their arms to you even more as you do that. And they'll see you doing that and know you better and respect you for it and cheer you on on the way. Um, Which is like a scary thing to do, but potentially um, if that's not how you've been conditioned so far. Uh, But it's... Um, it's definitely a worthy endeavor or a pursuit, I would say. I think so. I think it's, it's, it's pretty honorable if I do say so myself. I mean, like, it's not the fastest way to get followers or likes or whatever you're trying to get, but I feel like the community that I have built has, is like really steady. Right. Cause I have, I interact with people in the cats community, like people making costumes and stuff and like. I interact with people in the Mika community, in the mermaiding community. I have people who are f- friends who I've made teeth jewelry for. I've, I, I, I still have a couple people <laughs> attempting to pl- commission me for plushies, which I don't know if I'm feeling inspired to like sew right at the moment, but like that's an option, you know. Like I, so like, I just feel like I have very broad range, mm-hmm. and I have my little my loose ties around. And right. Over time, they fill in. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll fill in when they're meant to, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's good, too, to also, like, even just from a financial perspective, I've been hearing a lot recently that it's actually more risky to sort of rely on one either skill or stream of income, uh, and it's sort of better, at least nowadays, to branch out and have multiple streams of income from different sources if you can. Yeah, it's the whole don't put your eggs in one basket thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just... It makes life more interesting, too. Especially if you're as experimental as me. Like, I'm just constantly trying to experiment all the time. Right. Like, can I do this? Can I use this material for something it shouldn't be used for? Yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Will people get mad at me because it's not archival? Yes, they will. Do I care? No, I don't. Because, you know, like, what I think Mona Lisa was painted, like, on a piece of scrap wood. So I don't think that was archival. Right. <laughs> like, if there's anything I care about, it's not being archival. Yeah. My whole work is exploring the ephemeral in some way or another. Right. Right. Because life is ephemeral. We're all gonna die. Like, nothing will exist at some point. It truly. So, like, nothing is actually archival. No. 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 Yeah, that's just <laughs> anytime I think about the uh the Mona Lisa, I just remember walking into the Louvre and seeing all of the tour groups with their like uh not parachutes, flags <laughs> like leading all these groups around and then the Mona Lisa, which is actually pretty small, mm-hmm. um, just like crowded by this one tiny painting. Or not tiny, but like small compared to the room. Um, it's, it's pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they're all just like crowding over it, like looking over it, looking over it. And of course, like you, you stand in the masses and you make your way up to go see it cause you have to go see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I just remember turning around and the entire wall behind, like across from the Mona Lisa to the entrance of that hallway was in this enormous painting that nobody was looking at. Yeah. 
<laughs> and not that size dictates quality of craftsmanship or artistry, but it was just like that was also a beautiful painting. Yeah. And nobody was regarding it at all. So. It's crazy how big they just painted things. Right. <laughs> like, just, I, like, the scale. Like, every time I go into a museum with, like, fine art from, like, the masters, basically, yeah. I'm always just like, that is a huge oil painting. Yeah, yeah. And I would think, like, drying oil yes. oh is my God. not a, uh, a quick task. It's literally, like, paint drying. <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> That's another interesting craft that I've been thinking about a lot recently, because I've actually gone to quite a few art museums this year. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, on tour, I would have off days. I had a week, and <laughs> I basically had a week of paid vacation in New York. Um... So, like, went to the Met, been to MoMA, I went to Montreal Art Museum, went to Cincinnati Art Museum. I, I mean, I've been to so many art museums. Um, and that's another craft that I would actually, I actually have not seen really talked about in these art museums or anywhere. But the craft of making these very ornate, gilded frames that mm-hmm. these huge paintings are in. Right. So, it's like, those frames are old, too. Like, they were made for the painting. Right. But nobody's talking about the crafters who made them, mm-hmm. or what the process is like. Yeah, no, I know nothing about it. I'd love to go to a frame museum. Mm. It's just a bunch of frames, there's like no art inside of them. It would seem very modern art, right? But it would probably be really interesting. Yeah. So, like, I mean, craft is literally everywhere. Yeah. I've been really wanting to take just a workshop, like a couple days workshop about editing celluloid. Yeah. Because I I love nonlinear editing, digital editing, but, and I, you know, have a basic knowledge of how to cut with celluloid, but by the time I got to school, well, one, I didn't take any of the editing classes, because um, I got education elsewhere for it um but also by the time I got there they weren't really using film except for the experimental like one experimental class which I wasn't able to take um but it's such a I love the craft of editing as a storytelling mechanism so much that I feel like I would just be so enriched to study from people who are able to cut and manipulate and, you know, make the crossfades and actually tape and glue the, the, the film strips together. Um, which I've looked for those workshops, uh, or just any opportunity to do that. And I haven't been able to find any. Really? That's good. And maybe I'm like, yeah, maybe I just should ask different people, but I've never seen one offered like that. I think just because people are so put off by it like they're over it like it's an exhausting thing for people to think about because everything is digital or not everything but a lot of most things are digital nowadays and when you're talking about workshops you're usually talking efficiency um instead of sort of an archaic way but like they weren't cutting like digital hasn't been around nonlinear editing systems haven't been around all that long oh, no. the assistant editors and the editors that I've worked with um on a couple of shows like that's what they grew up with you know just like cutting and splicing um all day and putting in you know feeding things through the projectors and you know printing to reels and you know that very hands-on sort of um 
laborious process. And would I want to do that for every project I work on? Absolutely not. (laughs) But would I like to learn how to do it and make a really short film or something? Or just like a sequence and be like, yeah, I taped that together. (laughs) You literally taped that. We're just like discovering the origin of all these phrases. Literally. Literally. I mean, that's what it comes down to, Sarah. Like, analog is craft. Right. And so many people brush over analog. I think there is a resurgence in it and an interest in analog, at least as an aesthetic with yeah. Gen Z. But I don't know how much of that is like a genuine interest in analog, like as the actual craft versus just the aesthetic of it. A lot of it's aesthetic. Yeah. Which is like fine. It has its place, but it's, it, it's coming back around. Like it still has the potential to... Uh, like drive these analog crafts to extinction, you know, mm-hmm. because we're not actively um, practicing them or remembering them, revering them. And it's kind of a little worrisome in some ways, just as a general concept, because analog is what everything is built on. It's the foundation. And so it's like, yes, we have efficiency, we have digital, but what happens if we can never, like we get to a point where nobody understands how things were originally built. Like, we don't have the foundation anymore. Yeah. We're in The Sims 2. We built a house right. with the staircase. And then we deleted the foundation, and now we're a floating house. Yeah, <laughs> like, and now we can't get to work. And now you can't get to work. So it's like, it is a little kind of like, well, at what point do we realize, hey, we need to, actually, we need to remember how we originally did this. Because, uh, <laughs> it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do it for everything, but it is important, I think, to have that foundational understanding of any craft because so much of it informs, like, if you, like, take a step back and learn about the origins of whatever thing you're doing, skill or or otherwise, you'll you'll learn a bunch of things that will inform you to be better at it digitally in the present oh yeah you'll understand why things are maybe it's just terminology you'll understand why things are called what they're what they're called Mm -hmm. so you'll remember it better because it's like oh because it used to be like this analog thing right or you'll be like oh so like that's why we have this workflow Mm -hmm. like it just it'll inform you like there's nothing wrong to be a lifelong learner like there's 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 really not like to just learn more information like it's always a plus yeah yeah and i wish that that was more or less stigmatized like to be a beginner at anything or not even just to be a beginner but to want more knowledge than you have I I don't know it seems like oh by something I've been telling myself recently is age does not equate ability Mm -hmm. which I think is something that I've I wish that I had heard a lot earlier um because that's how it's just been in my head, like, my whole existence. It's what we're taught. Right. If you're not an expert at ballet by five, you're a failure. Yeah. You're not going to be good. Right, right, right. And it's what was demonstrated and what we observed. Yeah. Um. So it's natural to have that thought, but, like, wanting to learn more just for the sake of learning more, I think, is something that should really be treasured and encouraged because it's something that it's such a crazy time that we live in since we have so many 
we have so such a wealth of information available at our fingertips um, and such a lack of inspiration, which is why people like you are so rare because you're just teeming with inspiration. Like it's like coming, like it is beaming out of you and people see that um, once they, <laughs> once they get, once the, they get past the face. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> once, <laughs> once they get past your hedgehog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really enlivening, I think, to people, and it's like people feed off of that uh, tenacious spirit and want to do other things, and people who are like that attract other people, I think. So it's it's really a good thing. Um, has there ever been a crafting moment in any of any sort of crafting that you've been a part of um, that your play became work or you just didn't want to do it or it just was not a fun process for you? I mean, there's always like a hundred percent of the time, some kind of problem solving that will happen, which is kind of why I really love crafting. I was like, that sounds like play. It is play because it's like, you never know what problem's going to arise. Right. But I do know I can always fix it. Yeah. So like I made a silicone top for my mermaid thing and, um, the strap came like, it ripped through the, the silicone cup um, when I was taking it off. And it's like, that's fine because the inside of this is also silicone, so I can use more silicone to, like, seal it. And honestly, I'm glad it did rip because the silicone that I used to seal it was stronger than the original silicone there anyway. So it's kind of like it was more reinforced having broken right. and being repaired. Put so, to the trials. Right. So it's like, I learned this. And so you learn so many random things like that just because things will break. It'll be very frustrating in the moment, but you can always fix it, or at least I've always felt like I've been able to fix it. Yeah. And like, it's so rewarding when you do fix it. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, Oh, I did it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's better than what you had originally planned. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, and it doesn't even matter what medium you're doing because the same skills will translate into like any kind of craft. Like, right. Just the kind of exercise of that problem solving. Um, and I feel that all the time with collage too, because pieces just won't work together and I like I won't know what to find, put in like this one spot I'm like oh I don't know what to do but like I always seem to find something that does work and it's so validating but enough gassing up my ego um to answer your question <laughs> I mean yeah I mean as m- many projects as I do finish I do have a lot that I, I just haven't more so projects that I just haven't even started just because it, it's a little overwhelming to start a project because once I start something, I like I have to finish it. So it's kind of like knowing that if I start this, the ball is not going to stop rolling till it's done. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I've, I don't know. I think sewing, I've encountered a lot of that because... A lot of times with sewing, I I, ha- I can make things. Like, I made my prom dress, which is a pretty, pretty big thing. And I've made costumes and stuff like that. But because I'm, I think, I, I, I can sew. But I'm definitely more of, like, a embellisher, I guess, when it comes to sewing. Like, I like the detail work. Like, okay, now we're going to hand bead 10,000 beads on this. And that's fun. 
<laughs> what the like actually putting like whatever the garment is together. It's like, okay, I'll do it, but it's like I'm looking forward to like the detail bits yeah. later on. So a lot of the times I'll be really frustrated. Because it's like with sewing, it's like you it can't just look good. It has to feel like clothing. Like if it's really tight in your crotch area, that's it's just not gonna work. You're not gonna wear it. It's gonna not be comfortable to wear and then if it's not comfortable or especially oh my god if you put on something like a dress and then you can't get it back off oh that's the worst feeling yeah and it's like I've had quite a few of those so like one time I tried to make this dress and because I had just watched a video of how to do a lining on the inside of the dress which is the one of the key things to knowing like if a garment is high quality or not especially with dresses like you always want dress a dress with a lining like 80% of the time um, so I was like really excited to do a lining on a dress and I made the skirt. The skirt was really good. It was a circle skirt. Uh, I got my waistband and then I was trying to do the bodice and I, I mean, I wasn't doing it, pulling a pattern. Um, I was just like using my own clothes to sort of draft a pattern. And so it's like, oh, I made this dress and it lying flat it looks like oh that's a dress I made but like functionally when you put it on it doesn't account for the curves and stuff of your organic body um so it would not fit over my football shoulders like I have really broad shoulders same <laughs> and it just like it uh you know it just would not work and so I was like the lining was already in it like it was like a completed dress and um I honestly don't even know if it would have fit anybody. Maybe a child. But I don't know. It's just because, like, it looks okay, but it doesn't functionally work as clothing. Mm -hmm. Kind of like doll clothing. Like, doll clothing doesn't actually have to... Because, like, like making clothing is, like... Unless you, like, have actually, like, tried to do it or looked at what your clothing looks like. It's not just, oh, you draw the shape of a shirt and then sew it. It's, like, all these really unconventional shapes that you wouldn't think to account for unless you have practiced making clothing before because your body isn't a 2d shape it's three-dimensional and everybody's body is different too which is why clothing fits differently so obviously i didn't account for any of that um because i you know i was just practicing and i wasn't doing anything traditional so i tried to salvage it i was like okay well I'll cut, like, a triangle out of the back to essentially make it bigger because I'll sew uh, a lace panel. I was like, okay, because now, now it's, like, a decorative thing. And it's like, I attempted to do that. It did make it bigger, but I still couldn't really, like, it didn't really work. I couldn't really get it over my head. It, it, it was still, like, uncomfortable and tight and fit weird in other areas just because, like, I couldn't, you know, I just didn't know how to do it. So that... I didn't have any finished product for that. I still have it because it's like I felt bad throwing it away because it's like I put all this time and effort into it. But it's like it's not like I had a functional thing to wear. I couldn't even really display it anywhere. It didn't really have a use. So, but it wasn't useless because I learned what not to do. Right. Yeah, it was still a learning exercise yeah. for you and with practical application. So I've had a bunch of crafts that haven't worked, mm -hmm. that have broken or fallen apart, but I've never had a craft where I, it, where it was just, like, completely useless. I've always at least learned something. Mm. Yeah. That's a beautiful sentiment, I think, because a lot of people get really frustrated when 
like oh it's so frustrating failures happen it's so frustrating making things yeah especially when you have such an interest in a wide variety of materials like i do it's you literally like i was thinking about writing a book at some point in time that's just like the a general all-purpose guide to making mm-hmm. crafting and just like having like <laughs> playing footsie um just like having a whole section on materials and how certain materials react with other materials how easily they can be glued and just like a general guide to because it because if you don't know like oh plastic that's going to be really hard to paint glue to work with then and your material is plastic then you might get really frustrated um, and you just don't learn these things until you actually attempt to work with them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, attempting to glue something that's latex to something that's plastic. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, like, all these, like, interactions of various materials and glues and just, like, adhesives. And it's really frustrating at times. Things that fall apart. Um, the right kind of paints to use. Like, the right kind of brushes to use. I mean, it's, like, really... It's a lot to learn. So, like, you can't, you can, you're allowed to be frustrated, but if you want to continue crafting, which I do because it's fun, you just kind of have to, like, literally just set your materials down, take a breather, come back to it, problem solve, or accept that you learned something and terminate the project. Mm, mm. Those are all good takeaways. So, would you say that having, either the experience of like the learning and sort of the trials and okay I need to do this a little bit better I need to use these materials in a different way for the next attempt that learning aspect or the a successful finished product or craft is more fulfilling to you and then if not either of those things what is the most fulfilling thing to you about crafting i mean i'm a materialistic person so it's always like the finished product project is what i want yeah like that's what i'm doing it for material girl yeah i'm a material girl girl (laughs) i want the thing in my hands and if it's too big to hold in my hands i want to touch it yeah (laughs) it has to be tangible because one thing about me is i've always loved tactile things like i'm sure you know this but like when i was really little i would not wear any kind of shirt or dress that didn't have a little satin bow at the oh no i know (laughs) yeah Yeah. at the collar because i i had to feel it yeah you needed the bow i needed the bow um, so we need the bow at the end of the rainbow, whatever that phrase is. You need <laughs> a bow to tie the present. We needed the bow at the end of the rain, so... <laughs> right, literally. Like, I, I mean, so I'm always doing things for the physical outcome, because I'm a material girl, but, like, and it sucks when I don't get there, but I'm like, I do think I'm pretty, I'm pretty, like, optimist when it comes to that, because I'm like, okay, well, at least I learned some things, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you're pretty quick to apply them. Yeah. I would say. Um, so, uh, considering everything we talked about. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot. It was a lot. We touched on a few things, Mm -hmm. a couple different subjects. What are your thoughts on sort of the modern gatekeeping of artistry and creativity and how can, how do you think it can be made more accessible to 
anybody. I definitely understand wanting to keep quiet about your specific methods for, like, doing a craft. Because you, especially if you're doing it, like, as your job, you don't want people to steal it or then profit off of it. Especially if they're doing, like, the exact same designs and stuff like that. But I do think that, I, I feel like that is a concern, but it's not as much of a concern as maybe artists think it is. Because at the end of the day, they're not you and they're not inside your brain. And as much as they might want to try to do things with your perspective, they're not going to be able to do it. So like with my collage art, I'll, sure, I'll give you all my tips. I'll tell you how I literally am thinking while I'm making my composition. I'll tell you what books I use, like what kind of books I use, what materials, like scissors or exacto knives I use, how I lay things out, what how I frame them because, you know, I've kind of made a whole method for framing them too. I'm, I think I'm very open with my techniques and things because that's kind of like what all my content is. It's just like the process of how I made this thing. Mm -hmm. It's usually like my works in progress, like the end result, like the collage one specifically, those are very satisfying to watch. And it's like, this is literally how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'm open to sharing those things because I think I know people are interested and I'm interested in those things. But I'm not really worried about people stealing it. And therefore, I'm not really worried about people about myself gatekeeping it because I know nobody else is going to be able to make a collage like the way I make a collage. Mm -hmm. um, so I think but people are also like not like if your job is to be a craftsperson, it's not like people are in, are entitled to you now making videos of explaining how you do it because right. that's a whole other thing. Um, it's sharing because you want to share, yeah, and not because other people you're living up to other people's expectations, yeah. So, like, that's a whole other job, and it's not fair to be like, well, why can't you just, like, spend hours on editing a video showing us how you do it? Or why can't you, like, make a super long blog post and detail how you do it? Like, you're not entitled to that information, especially if that person's, like, busy. Um, but if somebody is a content creator and they do invest time in, like, tutorials and things like that... Um, I think it's always good to share information about how you do things. You don't need to go into super specifics. Um, but just in general, like, like in the mermaiding community, it's like this elusive process on how you actually make a silicone tail. <laughs> like there are videos and there's blogs and there's things, but... It's still, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, everybody's like, how do tail makers actually make this thing? Yeah. And it's a little frustrating because the mermaid community is relatively new and relatively small that it's like all the tail makers are super hush-hush uh, about their techniques to the point where it's like, I don't even know really, like, I have a general idea of how I would go about that. Mm -hmm. But if you told me to go do it, I don't think I could make something functional. Just yeah. because I haven't been able to get the information I need yet, just to like, know the steps. Not even the skills, just the steps. Right. Um, 
So that'll be interesting because I do want to attempt to make my own silicone tail at some point. Not as a business, just for myself. <laughs> but, um... I mean, there is a lot of information, though, on craft, like on YouTube and stuff. I think the older crafts, like we talked about, not particularly, but like if you want to know how to bead or embroider or sew or, you know, there are teachers and people who devote their time to making tutorials and things like that on YouTube and stuff. Sometimes it's harder to sniff them out, but if you do find a really good person and their content resonates with you, like that is a, um, like a priceless resource for you if you are interested in pursuing the craft. And also just like doing it like I know like that's also a privilege to just like have them like buy the materials and invest your time in like attempting to do it but at some point you can only watch so many videos or read so many things that you just have to now start attempting it because mm -hmm. honestly that's the approach I like to take I don't really like instruction <laughs> as good as I was at school with craft I honestly don't like asking for help or I like just diving right into it and figuring it out myself mm -hmm. so I think people should be less scared in just attempting it. Right. Like, having... And not, like, needing the best of the materials or, like, the best mentor or, like, the best of anything in order to start. Like, starting, the act of starting is the most important thing. Yeah, like, that's why I got a fabric tail first. Like, I'm not gonna invest $5,000 in a custom silicone when I'm just now starting mermaiding. Like. <laughs> right. Yeah, because you might not even like it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you probably would, given that you are actually a mermaid. Right, but an advanced one. <laughs> right, right, right. But, yeah, so I think that's following, um, in addition to that, what, how would you encourage anybody who feels like they want to get a little bit more in touch with their creative side to get in more, more in touch, get more acquainted with that side? It's honestly like a hard question for me to answer because I've never not felt in touch with it. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like so much of like what I am. Um, but just being around things that make you feel inspired and if you struggle with feeling inspired then I guess just being around things that make you feel good and if you struggle with feeling good then just being around things that make you feel neutral at, at or the, feel anything or feel, maybe. or feel anything yeah or feel anything oh well yeah most of my art is from great grief so I mean good grief uh, <laughs> good grief no well yeah it's true a lot of honestly yeah to just feel anything I think the biggest killer is apathy yeah like obviously you don't want to be depressed your entire life just to make good art but like i've made a lot of good art when i felt the worst mm -hmm. so just allowing yourself to be emotional i guess and to feel your emotions not necessarily to have to like know exactly what you're feeling but just to get that energy out somehow mm -hmm. isn't it is like the easiest way I feel like to be creative because even if people are like oh I'm not that emotional like you are you have some emotion like you can tap into it's a muscle just like everything else you can tap into the craft of feeling your emotions then expressing your emotions 
And then once you know how to express them, that's when you can start to express them creatively. So now we're tacking on an adverb. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah, just to feel. <laughs> just feel things I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just do whatever. Go to whatever medium, like, draws you. It doesn't have to be fine art. It can be any kind of creative expression. Some people like creative interpretive dance. I don't really like it, but if you like it, and that's fine. It can be fine art, or it can be fine art. It, exactly, and that's, yeah, it's all in the inflection. It really is. And that's another thing, too. I get so irritated when people are talking about following the rules, because I hate following the rules. It's not like I want to break the rules, it's just like, I don't think that way. Like, I want to think out of the box, because that's more fun. It's more fun to right. problem solve. It's more fun to use unconventional materials. It's not like I'm, like, I'm not trying to be ornery, but, like, it's just more fun. Yeah. Um. It's just more fun for you to glue things on your face. It is! Like, I really suggest gluing fungi. Well, actually, I don't, because I don't want to be, like, sued if it's, like, poisonous and you die. But I had a good time with it. Um. <laughs> I, I, I was a fun guy. Uh, <laughs> with the fun, I was a fun gal. Um. Don't get so hung up either. Like, am I doing it right? Because there's no right way. Yeah, there's, like, methods and techniques that are, like, the accepted right way to do things. But, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all, like, a human convention to begin with. So, like, that's how people are trailblazers. They do things in a slightly unique way that other people haven't done. So, like, for my collage, for example... People are always like, where do you get your books? Because I think they're expecting that I buy books of images that are printed, like, on nice white backgrounds that you're supposed to cut out specifically for collage from, like, Michaels or something. That are probably, like, perforated. Yes, that are, like, perforated, that are, like... Easy to cut. These are the collage books. Yeah. These are what you use. And it's like, no, they get so insulted. Like, every time I have a collage video that does relatively well... I will always at some point have a comment that's like, oh, this hurt to watch because I'm ripping up books. And it's like, oh, you can't do that. That's against the rules. You can't take a page out of a book. You can't, <laughs> you can't take a leaf out of a book. did, actually. Right. You can't cut that out. That's against the rules. That's not right. And it's ironic, too, because <laughs> the whole act of making a book is a craft as well. Yeah. But, um... If it's my book, I bought it at the thrift store, and it was probably going to land up in the land up uh, end up in the landfill anyway. I can do whatever I want with my book, and even if I bought it new, I can still do whatever I want with my book. Um, and it's just so interesting to me that people have such a intense adverse reaction to when you don't do something like right. Like, when you do something that's a little outside the lines, they mm-hmm. have such, like, an adverse, like, oh, that you can't do that. Yeah. They're like, that's not, this hurts. And it's like, that's fine if it hurts you, but it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> like, and, like, not actually hurting you. Like, me making my art is not hurting you. Like, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, me cutting off this book is, you're gonna live. Um, The audacity for them to make it about them. Right. When it's not, and it's never will be. Um... It's just so interesting to me because it's like, I guess people really do have a problem with doing things that are maybe a little bit 
unconventional. Mm-hmm. I don't really have an issue with that. I mean, sometimes I, I mean, <laughs> I have anxiety, so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do, but in like weird, irrational ways, because that's what an anxiety disorder is. Not like what are considered rational ways to, to be weird about it. So like, <laughs> people are like, I can't, I can't believe you made jewelry out of your wisdom teeth. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't believe that? People have been making jewelry out of teeth for years, thousands of years. Ivory is a coveted substance. Not that I agree with it, because the ethics are terrible. But historically, ivory has been seen as something that's, like, luxurious, beautiful. And that's the tooth of an elephant or rhinoceros. What's so different about using my own wisdom teeth that I've cleaned and polished to make my own jewelry? You know? It's just like people don't... They they just have such an adverse reaction to things that are not um, socially acceptable or socially the norm. And my advice is you can't be creative unless you're willing to push those boundaries a little bit. Right. Because... As much as it's, like, like if you want to be, like, an artist... And I'm not trying to, like... They're talking about the gatekeeping thing. Like, I'm not trying to, like, gatekeep being an artist. Like, anybody can be an artist if they want to. I don't care how you label yourselves. You're allowed to label yourselves an artist if you want to. That said, if you keep buying kits from Michaels on how to collage, you're not really going to be a collage artist, respectfully. Like... It's one thing to, like, buy a kit to do it, like, therapeutically, and it's fun. You enjoy it. You like that product. That's great. But, like, to truly be creative, you have to exercise that muscle and push the boundaries a little bit. And the boundaries will be different for everybody. Yeah. You just have to figure out what your boundary is and maybe nudge it a tiny bit each Mm -hmm. time. And do different directions, too. You don't have to keep nudging in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Just whatever you, you know, feels right to you. And, like, that's how you be creative. I like it. I like it. Well, how can people support you and follow along with your creative endeavors? Yeah, so I'm really trying to establish a group of collectors for my fine art collages endeavors so if anybody's ever interested in purchasing originals i have my gallery page which which is returnonart.com and my name is there laura isley with my originals available and they're always a framed uh and shipped directly from me i'm also open for commission for collages too if i feel like doing that <laughs> like if if your idea inspires me enough to go through with it <laughs> there's a pitch um, process right yeah it's well it's as much of like seeing if my client is right for me as much as I'm right for them which is just how jobs should be in yeah. general so it's like if you don't inspire me I'm not gonna do it because I don't want to waste our time and give you a subpar product right um so yeah originals can be commissioned from me or they can be purchased on my gallery page all of my socials are at Isley Laura and primarily Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I have quite a few like longer form things on YouTube, like showing how I made various crafts and stuff. Um, though I post mainly on TikTok and Instagram Reels 
for shorter things. Um, I'm really interested in continuing in the touring industry and music and entertainment and stuff. So I'm always open for doing more like social media content creation, stuff like that. I have a lot of, um, like hyper specific goals, like in terms of like making art for musical artists and things like that. So I'm always open for any kind of potentially creative outlet that you think that it would be a good collaborative thing between me and whoever you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I just appreciate anybody following me on social media and like, uh, giving me some encouragement or if you're also like in the same community like collage or mermaiding or Mika whoever like just establishing those connections and being friends and um I don't know do I have anything else to plug <laughs> I don't <really laughs> um probably, probably. but probably <laughs> well probably but you just don't know what it is yet right yeah yeah yeah. My social media, my gallery page, I'm open for hire. Hire me. Only if I want to, though. Right. <laughs> like, chase me? Chase me, and maybe I'll chase back. Right. Uh, yeah. And I'm, like, open for friends. Interrupt. Always friends. Always <laughs> friends. Okay, great. Great, great. Okay, well, if you think of anything else, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Um, Well, thank you for being my guest and for for cheering me on in my playful crafts. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad that we got this opportunity to create together. I'm really glad we got to craft this moment in time. (laughs) And we'll keep it forevermore until the... Until the digital goes away. Until we're all nothing but stardust. And then maybe we'll be crafted into something new. We sure will. We sure will. We sure will. (laughs) Welcome back, friends. That was queen of trash, artisan, and lover of baby pigs, though not a baby pig herself, Lara Isley. And go ahead and award yourself 10 points if you understood that last little reference. Regardless of if you got that reference or not, I think you should take some of Lara's advice and chase inspiration where it finds you. You never know where it could lead. So go and get crafty in whatever medium or activity is most calling to you. And if you're feeling so inspired, you can go and check out Lara's link tree to keep up with her crafting and content creating ventures. She's usually pretty consistent in her handle on most platforms. It's at I-S-E-L-E-Y-L-A-U-R-A, so at Isley Lara. But if you go to her link tree, then you can find lots of fun and interesting links that will take you to all of her social media presence. And if you're feeling super duper inspired and you want to get crafty and share some of your crafting ventures, definitely take a picture and post on Instagram and tag us using hashtag L-M-P-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. So hashtag L-M-P project. And you can also give us a cheeky follow on Instagram and Substack so we can keep up with your endeavors as well. Next week, we'll continue our traversing in the multiverse with a new word and a new friend. 
And we'll also have a special, very on topic for the multiverse jumping side quest episode to follow shortly after. So thank you so, so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for playing.